Hello everybody and welcome to this in-season episode of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers Ward, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stogden. We're sequelizing, and you don't want no part of this shit. <laughs> That's true. This is a burden only the three of us may carry. This is... The, the, the burden of sequelizing is a heavy crown that lies on our head. It's true. And speaking of people with crowns on their head, it's Tim Matum. Look, I have one job on this lousy podcast. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it, okay? Is it Minions impressions, Tim? A little bit. Okay, good. Just yeah. spitting facts tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of ironic, Matthew, because we're not talking about factual movies. We have talked about that in the past, like based on a true story and all that mm, kind of stuff. Mm. We are, in fact, talking about parody films this week. and. I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion. I think they have a really interesting history, and in the second half we'll get into some specific examples, all the usual stuff that we do here in the interseason. But before we get to all of that, this episode is actually a VIP pick by one of the fantastic people over on patreon.com slash sequelizers. And if you'd like to join them, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. You can get early access. You can get ad-free access. You can get exclusive merch, discounts on merch. You can get an avatar drawn by the one and only John Scarrett if you really wish to show off on the Discord because that's what people like to do with those things. Some of them or, have been turned into emojis as well. Or anywhere else you want to put it. Yeah. All, all the social media of choice. Print it out and stick it up on a wall. Hmm? I don't know if anyone has done that with the We don't know about the walls. Yet. I've seen, like I said, I've seen them all on Discord. Um, all in China? I, I tend to ask the people if they already have it. Would you like it made as an emoji on the Discord? So uh, some of the VIPs, you can share their little faces in it as an emoji form on the Discord. And you can have that too, like I said, if you go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. Of course, you can get bonus content as well if you go to the £10 tier or higher. You get entire bonus interseason episodes and all the outtakes and movie commentaries when we do the main season. And we're coming up. We've just planned this out as of previous recording, like a few days ago. We've planned the movie commentaries. We've planned... The next season, yeah, Requalizer's coming, and we are, we're ready. I'm feeling ready. You feeling ready, boys? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Tim? Mentally ready, but not... In spirit, in, not so much. In, not in the sense of any actual preparation. Oh, same, same. Yeah, yeah. Tim's sitting in the car with the keys in the ignition, and it's going, and he's sort of in the driveway going, let's go. And he's like, yeah, 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 give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and if you go to the £30 tier or higher, you can become an executive producer like these fine folks have done. Canis Rufus. You'll see, Frank. One day I'll punch you right in the face, and then you'll respect me. Marcus Lindstrom. You're wrong, Frank. I'm not a kid. I'm a man. I am going to get you better, and then I'm going to beat you to death. And David Selinger. Get ready to meet your maker. What's up now, Frank? I'm doing this because I love you. Thank you, executive producers. Like I said, you make this show possible. We say this every week. You make all the cool new gear that we've got. You make all the extended seasons. We're now going to be doing more inter-seasons. We're doing more bonus stuff, essentially. Audio tests. <laughs> Audio tests. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, Slash, you're welcome if you have heard, gone back a few weeks and heard that at the beginning of the year. Good Lord. It's Tim's audition for Audible. And what the and novelization <laughs> of Despicable Me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> And if you go to the £50 tier, that is the highest of the tiers, by the way, on patreon.com slash sequelizers, you can become a VIP like these incredible folks have done. Hyper Dude Man. We're nothing but grains of sand. That was freaking transcendental, Paul McCartney. 
Philip Morgan. Don't you agree, John Lennon? Yes, Dewey Cox. With meditation, there's no limit to what we can imagine. Stuart Maine. What do you think, George Harrison, of the Beatles? I don't know, you know, I'm just trying to get some more songs on the album. You know. And as Ringo Starr, I'm not so interested in meditation. I just like to have fun. Jonathan Firth Clark. Oh, use a corn fed fool with a lot of muscle mass. But it's time for Bullhorn to get up in that ass. Hey! Motherfucker! James McDowell. Let everybody know, and suckers be warned, that this is the outcome when you mess with Bullhorn. And the VIP that has told us to talk about parody films this week, the one and only Josh Miles. I should have known you'd be behind this fiendish Dr. Wu. Your knowledge of scientific biological transmogrifications is only outmatched by your zest for kung fu treachery. Thank you, VIPs. We couldn't appreciate your support more. Like I said, you make this show possible. You make it free for everyone else that isn't able to support us on Patreon. And we very, very much appreciate it. And thank you, Josh, for picking an interesting topic. Because Josh has picked some horrible things for us to talk about in the past. Yeah, They have tortured us with Grown Ups 2 and Paul Blart 2. And now we actually get to talk about stuff that we like, which is very exciting. Yes. So thank you, Josh, and thank you to all the EPs, VIPs, and everyone who supports us on patreon.com slash sequelizers. So, shall we dive into it, gentlemen? Let's get some clarifications that we later skirt the line with and then <laughs> frantically paddle back from. Is it like the vehicles episode where we're going to spend the first half just defining something? No, I'm okay, going to say good. it in a single sentence. Oh, okay. <clears throat> I wrote it down. The difference between parody is imitation of style and form, whereas satire is the use of humour to ridicule and criticise. Those are like dictionary de definitions of things. Because there's lots of times people are like, oh, what's, like, what's a good parody film? It's like, this. It's like, that's a satire. No, it's a parody. It's, like, it's not parodying anything. That's satirical. And it's like, that's the definition of irony. It's like, no, it isn't. So there will be examples that skirt the line of that later. We'll maybe even reference some things. It's like, well, you could consider this we just want to bring it up there because some people would say, oh, my favourite film wasn't included. It's like, yeah, because that's a different thing. It's, it's, it's um, taking the tropes, taking the, the method, the stylings of a specific genre, a storytelling method, or just a cliche, if anything, and doing your own thing with it. And a satire is, I'm using a different story to poke fun at something, usually political, because it's something yeah. very weighty and, and, and serious. But it's, it's the idea of like, yeah, uh, this is a very, um, something we should, be, we should be very concerned about, but I'm going to make fun of it. Uh, uh, that's like, um, uh, what's it, up, up in the sky? Look up, look up. Don't uh, look up. Don't look up. My God. I, I, <laughs> up in the sky. I like, look up. I like Adam McKay. I didn't like that film. I agree. But it's a, up, up in the sky is the film where uh, George Clooney Clooney's, is trying yeah. to get uh, a thousand, air, a million air miles so he can fly up and destroy an asteroid. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> not, not entirely wrong. Um, so yes, uh, but the, Don't Look Up is very much pure satire. It's like, what if a comet hits? Like, yeah, because you're trying to say something about global warming. You're trying yeah. to say something other disasters and how people have things. And it's poking fun at the situation, but mirroring our own thing. Mm. And you can have a parody that is also a satire. Precisely. Yes. But they are not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Yes. 
something we talked about before, something like Robocop is a perfect example of satire. There we go. Mm. Talking about gun violence and all the mad political shit that was happening in America at the time and still is 40 years later for some reason. Um, But yeah, I think parody is such an interesting topic because it has very clear legal definitions for a lot of copyright stuff as well. Yes. Especially music has a very clear thing and there's we'll we'll get on to uh, one particular name who's famous for parody music. (laughs) If you know me, you know what I'm talking about in the second half. And essentially, it has to imitate the original, but bring something new to it. You have to change the lyrics or change the instrumentation or do something different. And essentially, like you said, poke fun at it. Yes. But not in a way that is like a satire. There is a specific definition of parody music. And... Oh boy, has people got in trouble for that over the years. Yeah, that's true. Lots of issues with that. And it's I think- not just sampling. It's creating your own spin on it in theory. Exactly. It's, it's a very yeah. 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 And parody has it runs the gamut because you can have very affectionate parodies that have a lot of love for the source material and respect even though they are willing to poke fun at some of the clichés and the tropes that are prevalent in it. A loving pastiche basically. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can have absolutely brutal parodies <laughs> that have no affection for the the thing that they're parodizing um and you can have also just extremely lazy dumb parodies which i'm sure we'll get into um that are essentially just kind of taking the framework of a genre and using it as scaffolding for extremely weak jokes (laughs) that's a really good point actually well i kind of think before we get too much into the weeds of examples and things, we should clarify that if we have, I don't think we've done a comedy episode yet, have we? Like, like just an episode on. Be, be more specific, Matthew. No, no. <laughs> an episode where we're funny. I think, I think we're funny sometimes. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I mean. Um, I think our subcategory on Apple Podcast is comedies. <laughs> no, I mean more the idea that we talk about films that are classified as comedies. Right. No, I don't. I, I think, think, like, yeah. We, we have comedy. in the main season, obviously. Yes, I've done yeah. Evan Almighty and no, 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 a bunch I of mean, stuff, we've like... not done an in-season discussion about what is comedy. Mm, true. This true. is our closest to discuss because parody at its heart should be funny. Yeah, mm, and yeah. that's where it gets to the point of like you know, it's not mm. just saying I'm doing a different version, of, okay, a remake, if you will. Mm. Hello, next season. Um, <laughs> but a parody should be bringing something that's a comedic entertainment to the whole thing. And this is where, just to segue off what Tim's saying, it's fascinating because. The most uh, common denominator that's churned out from this is lazy pat. Mm. Yes, and that's what we. Pe- I think most people will associate uh, some of the biggest names you could think of in 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 parodies, especially for people our age. I guess would be Airplane, mm-hmm. which is good comedy, mm-hmm. as in well written, funny, entertaining of its time, etc. It's then gone on to be influential of its own right as well. Exactly. Yeah. And then you've got bad comedy, <laughs> which is things like what the scary movie films became. Yes. Which, let's face it, scary movie problems as all well. All those at the same like spoof, meet yeah. the Spartans and all that exactly. shit. Exactly. Yeah. Where it's like, Jesus, it's all just fart and homophobia jokes. It's all the yeah. same bollocks over and over. What and if the Spartans and, were gay? <laughs> and like, scary movie is interesting because it's essentially parody of a parody that's yeah because scream is a parody it's just a parody that takes itself quite seriously but it's still 
poking fun at the conventions of the genre mm-hmm. while aping the genre's form. Which yes. is why I was saying, oh, Scream's very satirical and meta. And like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And k- kind of a parody. It's like, yeah. why is not? It's like, well, it's not funny. Actually, Scream is funny. It's very yeah. funny, in my opinion. Um, but you're right. That's, that's the thing. So we end up with, as we will get to a bit later, what becomes the face of parody films. Yeah. Um, but I want to just get off the way because this is a comedy thing, which means even with our picks later, and even when the things we say are good and bad, people are going to say, yeah, but that was shit because it wasn't funny. It's like, mm, it was shit because you didn't find it funny. Yeah. Uh, or because comedy is so subjective. It's subjective. Right? This yeah, is where yeah. it becomes so tricky because we can, object- we can almost try and objectively say Meet the Spartans isn't funny because it's not. It's insulting and that, stupid. That's mm. objectively correct. Arguably, <laughs> yes. I will have no arguments yeah. otherwise. But for those with like really dense, blunt humor of like, <laughs> fat man laugh. It's like, Great. And I mean, like, the even. The Paul Blart and Mrs. Brown's but, Boys crowd. But, but the Paul Blart crowd still have a veneer <laughs> that isn't Meet the Spartans because it's not being yeah, excruciating. Yeah. I mean, it's still hateful. There's lowbrow and then there's lowbrow. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so lowbrow and lowest brow. Yes, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. That's, that's it. So I just wanted to get that out there saying that, you know, we do have a bit of a. Uh, okay, but it's interesting you mentioned about uh, Airplane going out the existence of itself and like mm, it, it goes yeah. on to have its own legacy because if I was to say Airplane, now, not everybody will know. Like, like obviously, the younger listeners will be like, "I think I know what that is." I've seen Family Guy reference it because obviously, you know, Jack's the classic example. That's of this. me. I've seen everything that it's influenced, and I've seen all of the jokes a million mm-hmm. times. I have never watched the film Airplane in my yeah. life, which See, horrified Stuart Ashman when did. I told him <laughs> that many years ago on this very show. He, he's, I think, still baffled by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he hasn't talked to me since. But most people, even at my own wedding. <laughs> Most people, yeah, during the vows, just stood up. Um, Does most- anyone have any reason to object? <laughs> I do. Jack hasn't seen just, airplane. Jack's never seen airplane. Just pause this whole ceremony. Maybe two hours tops. We'll yeah. get it resolved. <laughs> to be fair, I told that to my wife a couple of hours ago, and she was also horrified. So. <laughs> kind of insane. I'm married to Stuart Ashen. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh. <laughs> that oh. explains so much. It- <laughs> It doesn't, but <laughs> I, I, in fact, have more questions, but it's okay. Um, but then there's also the fact that Airplane, most people under the, a certain age have no idea what that film is parodying. No. And not just like, oh, it's just, you know, disaster. I was like, mm. no, no, it's parodying a very specific movie or two movies in theory. But it's like, yeah, can you name them? Like, do I need to? Yeah. No, because they, they had a huge impact of a time in cinema, was, was lambasted. And we, they still sort of made those movies, but everyone would come back to those jokes saying, ah, ha, 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 yeah, I've seen this. He has yeah. a problem with drinking. Splash water in his face. Oh, he literally has a physical... Oh, very yeah. Good. That kind of thing. But also the nature of Airplane is that it, it's, it's, it's that thing of, again, subjective comedy. Yes. Where it is doing that thing of, we are just taking the scaffolding here and we're just going to fill it full of jokes. Because you don't have to have seen airport for example mm-hmm. to understand the jokes in airplane there's a few where it's aping particular you know scenes and moments but for the most part stuff like you know oh stewardess i speak jive has nothing to do with the genre of like aviation disaster that's true you know uh you know d- don't call me shirley you know th- those have nothing to do mm-hmm. with the genre conventions they're just saying they're taking the broad shape of parody and then just cramming as many jokes into it now the jokes are very funny so mm-hmm. it works but it's essentially the same model as something like meet the spartans yeah yeah where yes. 
the the it's ostensibly a parody of 300 but really it's just an exercise in it's a it's a vague outline of 300 and then filled with fart jokes and homophobia yeah. and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah which is fine. Well, it's not fine because it's a terrible film. But it's like airplane proves that you can do that. Yes, yes. You just have to. The, form, have really the format good jokes. itself is not the problem. Yeah. Yes, it's actually writing funny, yeah. inoffensive but then you, stuff. Then you can also have parody films where a lot of the jokes would go over your head, mm-hmm. or or you wouldn't appreciate the full nature of them unless mm. you are familiar with the original source material. And that's how we get into the territory of, of, of longevity, because the premise is the chassis. Mm. It's the thing that gets us there. Everything else is what we actually remember, the thing we're quoting, it's the things we enjoy. Um, and at the same time, you can also have, um, you know, uh, the idea that it's, is it anything different really to a sketch show? It's just mm. a very long version of it. Yeah. It's a, it's a very good snl sketch so yeah. if you want to be a well, it's, it's a thing of in a way airplane has a longer life and a broader appeal because you don't have to have seen the original correct it's just very funny jokes yeah um whereas something that's really you know um we mentioned uh, in austin powers for example yeah, well, yeah. that's not a perfect example it, yeah it's the whole like this works because it's lampooning the 60s yeah as a whole thing but if you've seen films in the 60s and understand the sex appeal of people like michael kane at the time and alfie and things yeah and also but a bond film now you have a deeper understanding of it but it's yeah. got enough of a compelling plot of like oh evil genius takes over the world and there's this ridiculous eccentric yeah. character so it's funny enough you go along with it in a, in a lot of ways like a good parody is a really fine balancing act mm-hmm. because you're trying to be an example of the genre while also sending up the genre, but you're trying to maintain a really close sense of what our audiences are aware of. Because like, if we're doing really specific, if, if I'm like, oh, I'm going to do a parody of like Wes Anderson films. Yeah. And people go like, oh yeah, I, you know, I know what a Wes Anderson feels like. But if I'm putting in like very specific jokes about Bottle Rocket, uh, mm-hmm. Most people, even you know, yeah, like even people who have a general sense of what a Wes Anderson film looks like, aren't necessarily going to be like, oh yeah, I get that that's a reference to his first ever film that's like yeah. his least seen one, you know. Um, so you have to have a really keen sense and be really plugged into what is the general audience aware of, and it also means that in general, the parodies that get released tend to be of the most popular genres of the day yeah definitely it's a punch up situation as in punching up towards the people who are already in charge of the studios yeah the, the stories we're familiar with that kind of stuff rather than the punch out to, ah remember that fucking weird independent film it's like yeah nobody does that's why it's a weird independent film <laughs> yeah it's like there are a bunch of parody westerns but when westerns started to die out the parodies also started to die out yep you know you still get the occasional one just like you still get the occasional western because that iconography is so strong but also, you know, you're there. There's certain genres which have so died out that you're never going to get a parody version of them, just because nobody would get the jokes that you're telling in it. Yeah, you can also have it where a particular parody or even a satire sometimes will just kill the genre outright. Of yes, just like oh, this is done now, and you 
you probably shouldn't do that in the cliched way ever again because all of your faults and jokes and stuff have been exposed by this one thing. A couple of examples we'll talk about in the second yes, half. Yes, very much so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And e- egregious examples of like, uh, haven't we already had this conversation? Didn't we fix all this shit like 10 years ago? And they're like, nope, we're doing it all again. Exactly how it was 30 years ago. Like, there's been a bunch of parody films. But what were you talking about? We pointed out that this is a flawed bullshit full of cliches about a decade ago. Where, where were you? And I keep bringing this up and I'll keep bringing it up until I fucking die. Apparently, this is why we bang on about Shrek 2. <laughs> <laughs> Shrek fucking is Shrek a parody too. of the classic Disney princess stories. Yeah. Well, actually, what if it wasn't this, you know, classic, typical um, damsel in distress absolutely. and a bollocks, mm. yeah. And then the second film comes around and you're like, oh shit, we're, we're those guys now. Hollywood. <laughs> Better just do another thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, I can see. You're still going through tropes. You're going a few of them, but it's like, now you've complicated the world building and that you've cut. And then again, you get to film three, you get to film four. And again, Disney then goes, right. Well, we need to figure this out then. And they're trying to figure out, you know, Chicken Little and Home on the Range, or whatever that was called. And then you get to the stage of like, Tangled? We've, we've kind of made it different. Like, it's good. Frozen. Okay, it's good. Yeah. And you get back to like, right, it's different now. Because you, the axe falling down from Shrek was like, yeah, you kind of can't do this anymore because people are going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a Shrek Fiona situation. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah. And you get into that, you almost then get the other side of that, right? Where you're totally right with something like Shrek that then essentially kills that genre of like, we do not have the traditional Disney damsel in distress kind of princess anymore. You then have to push yourself forward as a genre and subvert expectations. Yes. Frozen and Tangle being perfect examples there of like, Frozen is kind of a supervillain origin story that we don't know what he really talks about. And it's like, oh yeah, she's a, she's, she could kill loads of people. So like evil a super de- evil ice queen, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And Tangled is, again, kind of a parody of, of like, it's a bit of a center puzzle like, kind of stuff, to... but like, yeah. 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 I think because Tangled brings so much brilliant acting and fantastic animation and all that kind of stuff. I don't think it leans on the parody too hard. And the fact that, again, you have independent characters that have their own motivations, it's so well written, all that kind of stuff, it can kind of get away with that because it is subverting the most basic, oh, there's Rapunzel, she's stuck in a tower, she's got long hair, Prince comes and saves her, the end. You actually have characters with motivations and independence and, and yeah. st- agency and stuff like that. Yeah, in, 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 the, in the best possible world, parody pushes other films to be better yes yeah um mm-hmm. yep the 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 bad reality that we live in in, in certain genres at <laughs> the least, dark timeline the darkest timeline um is the fact that you can have a parody come out that completely skews a genre and everybody goes or or no either nobody sees it mm. or b people say it, see it and go ha, 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 that was very funny and then continue to go and watch the films that are just playing those tropes straight yeah. and no, none of the filmmakers take a look at the parody and go like oh yeah that 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 is a good point we you should, should be maybe we should maybe be innovating <laughs> you know and and something like tangled and frozen is so clear that because shrek was such a huge hit disney literally had to go like oh okay we need to maybe rethink just a little like we can't do this just as a straight down the lane adaptation of Rapunzel we've got to rethink it a little yeah, bit definitely. we've got to come at it from a different angle we've got to take a look at some of the tired storytelling tools that we've been using <laughs> and refresh them a little bit and even then 
you know, Shrek was already, you had Princess Fiona doing fucking Matrix moves and stuff yep, like that. Yep. The idea of like the damsel in distress, except, oh no, she's actually a kick ass. Well, like that was already a, a trope. She's voiced itself. by a Charlie's Angel. Yes. It's like, oh, yes. yeah, of course. This yeah. is the yeah. whole, like, no, that's the, we've got an action hero to play the role of this princess. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was already the elements that were, yeah. yeah anyway. It, it was, the, the tree was being cut down, basically. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned there, Tim, like, sometimes the parodies and stuff go unnoticed. Don't tend to make that much money unless there's something really, really special. Like, Airplane is like the example. There's a reason it was the first example we brought up, right? Because it has yeah. so transcended its own genre. You mentioned like, oh yeah, it's it's spoofing airport. Like mm. what? Spoofing what now? It's just it's a funny comedy movie. Just like a funny film on a plane. Yeah, right? it's a yeah. bunch of people on a plane. It's hilarious. There's a sex doll and everything. Like well, yeah. There you go. Autopilot. You don't. So it's a little inflatable thing, right? Yeah. Which I as a kid thought that's how autopilots work. <laughs> <laughs> They so often don't perform well at the box office, especially if it's a thing where it's pointing, you know, the finger at something that is very popular and the industry goes, nope, we're going to carry on doing that thing anyway and fuck you. Or it's, again, the the bad attempt where you use the example of Wes Anderson there. Somebody tried to do a parody film of Wes Anderson and the vast majority of the mainstream is like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Who's this for? Yeah. What are you? Are you poking? For, so the people that would get this reference are Wes Anderson fans. Are also the kind of people that wouldn't like you poking fun at the because they're, they're taking it quite seriously. So mm-hmm. uh, who is this for? Yeah. And a lot of the parody films really kind of fall on their ass, and they they can be really good, but do not perform well at the box office. And there's quite a kind of storied history of parody films not doing well in terms of their yeah even critical acclaim. But sometimes they'll be critical acclaim, but tend to do really poorly at the box office. I think the ones that succeed tend to succeed despite being parody films. Absolutely, almost. yes. Yeah. Like, because there are incredibly successful ones. You know, Austin Powers made a buttload of money, yep. but that succeeded because it had Mike Myers coming off the back of Wayne's World kind of, you know, in, in quite a hot period of time. Yeah. And pretty much, any, and, and obviously it helps that it's a very funny film, um, but like... You kind of think that, like, whatever he did at that point, it probably would have been successful. But then he did make So I Married an Axe Murderer, and that pretty much sank without a trace. Uh, so true. maybe, maybe, well, it was on the cusp, but that was just before. But he also yeah. made Love Girl, and that was a big piece of shit. Yeah, but, but that was definitely on the way out. That was out. the way out, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's forgetting what you're doing and how you're doing it. I mean, come back to Westerns for a second, for example uh, Blazing Saddles. Yeah. In fact, let's talk about Mel fucking Brooks for a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, because if you talk about how lampooning and mocking the genre and a very specific type or example and how it has no fucking effect <laughs> except that your own career is furthered and you become a, not necessarily a household name, but people know Mel Brooks is yeah. theory. Uh, for those who don't know, Mel Brooks is an American comedian, won a lot of awards. Uh, <laughs> he was a producer on The Elephant Man, as we've discussed in a, <laughs> a bonus Patreon episode. Um, but basically, uh, Blazing Saddles. Mm. Great film. Very of its time. Yeah. De- Westerns were already pretty much dead, so it wasn't really killing Westerns. Um, you had revisionist Westerns and things coming through, yeah. obviously spaghetti Westerns being a big thing, but so it wasn't really that, but it was a different time. Um, Spaceballs is the one I want yeah. to talk about. Mm. Spaceballs is a... We're going to poke fun at Star Wars. Mm. It's fucking Star Wars. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But to be fair, we're talking about this now in the 2020s. The Star Wars landscape, we mentioned this before in previous episodes, I'm pretty sure, of the late 80s, early 90s was just toys. Mm. And it's fine. And it's a big iconic thing. And, you know, Luke, I'm your father, you know, mm. misquoting stuff. I and mean, it's it, cultural footprint so fucking deep. Mm. And then George Lucas quite saying, oh, I'm do some prequels. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, shit. Okay. I'm looking forward to those. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you are, mate. Um, but that's the point. Spaceballs lambasts so much stuff. Yeah. And it takes it apart. And is it funny enough to survive on its own? Not really. It's, it's a weird comedy. People, people still love Spaceballs. Oh, yeah, yeah. People are outraged right now saying, fuck you, Spaceballs is great. Fair yeah. enough. No, no, I'm, I'm challenging. Mm. I'm just saying, can it survive without Star Wars? But then, who lives without Star Wars? Yeah, and it's all, I mean, it's so hard to try and conceive of a parody film without its main source of, you know, inspiration. Because mm. um, there's, a, like we say, there's a lot of jokes in Spaceballs that have nothing to do with Star Wars. Alien joke or two. Yeah, um, and even stuff like the the fast forwarding to watch the end of the film and all that kind of stuff there we has go. nothing to do with sci fi at all. It's nothing to do with technically anything. Yeah, it's just a unique thing that exists in yeah. this movie. There's the, no the, reason like the, in this oh we're, we're combing the desert and then it's a big comb. Yeah, like, that's just that's just a visual pun. Yes, um, but yeah, it's it's these are really kind of interesting examples where you're like. Like, yeah, it is a parody, but also, like, a whole bunch of it is just just f- people being funny. And it's, yes. and it, it tends, like we said, it tends to be those ones that maybe have a little bit more longevity, even if it takes them find, time to find their audience. That's because true. I think it's, it's true what you said, Jack, that there are a lot of parody films that do not do well at the box mm. office, but they often become cult hits, and they often become cult hits with the people who are fans of the things they're parodying, yeah, yeah. it just mm-hmm. takes them time to discover them. Mm. Um, and especially if it's a more affectionate parody that has love for the source material. Um, and I think, you know, people eventually kind of find it. And the, the other thing about parody is, depending on how lazy you are, <laughs> they can be quite easy and quite cheap to make. Because yeah. if you're, especially looking further back in time, when you were when Hollywood still had the kind of studio system in place, if you're in the fifties and you're making a cowboy parody film, there's fucking cowboy costumes and cowboy sets are plenty out there. Yeah, and because the genre is so well known, you kind of already have. You're not obviously you're not doing just a remake of something, or maybe you are. Maybe you're doing such a direct parody that you're like, we're going to take the Searchers mm. or a stagecoach. But it's actually it's going to be a Greyhound bus going through the desert, and we're going to make a bunch of jokes about public transit in America while also being a cowboy film. There we go. Yeah. there's my there's my pitch. <laughs> now I just got to fill it up with jokes, and like that's how you know if it's you're being lazy, it. that's how simple it can be. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's so you can do them for quite cheap, assuming you have access to you know the requisite costumes and stuff. Yes. It's when you start doing something that's a little bit more esoteric or you're just a you know smaller budget filmmaker that you know it can it can be a much more of a gamble. Yeah, what's what's the the risk reward situation? Mm. It's like the studios yeah. aren't going to make these things, they're going to be more independent circular things. And mm. so subsequently it's like, well why would we punch this out? It makes no money. Yeah. And it doesn't get critical acclaim. So why the fuck are we doing it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Speaking of lazy parodies, um, talking of Jason Freeberg and Aaron Seltzer of Meet the Spartans fame. Oh yeah, I feel like we talked about their filmography before on the podcast. Possibly we have, to, we have done. Yeah, yeah. I can't, can't remember why. Can't remember why. Um, we hate ourselves. Yeah. Would you like to guess which one of their films is the lowest rated on Rotten Tomatoes? I'll give you the full list. They all not zero. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you a clue. The the number is zero. Yeah. And two of them are zero percent. So you wow, have a chance to guess. You have Spy Hard from nineteen ninety six. Spy Hard is fine. Not directed by them, but written by them. Yeah, that's uh, fine. Scary Movie, the first one. Again, not directed, but written by. Mm-hmm. The rest are directed by one or both. Got Aaron it. Go. Date Movie, Epic Movie, Meet the Spartans, Disaster Movie, Vampires Suck, The Starving Games, Best Night Ever, and Superfast. God, they're all terrible films. They're all. Yeah. I'll give you a clue. All of them, apart from Scary Movie, are less than 10%. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would say that uh, uh, there's a very clear maybe cut off around about disaster movie. Just the same year as Meet the Spartans in 2008, yeah. mm. by the way. Where big actors stopped appearing in these yeah. fucking yeah. things. Yeah. And it started being like straight to DVD oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Carmen Electra's in this one. Yeah. Great. Cool. I um, think mm. The Starving Games is probably a 0 percent mm. I, I feel like the Starving Games probably didn't have enough eyeballs on it to get a rating. <laughs> like one of those, those like tricky bastards. I'm going to say disaster, mm, epic movie, disaster movie. What am I supposed to difference between these two fucking things? Disaster movie, disaster movie, and what was the the Fast and Furious one? Was that one Fast and Furious? Super one. fast, super fast. That's the latest one in 2015. Mm. Yeah. Uh, disaster movie. Matthew has one percent on tomatoes. <laughs> Who the Fuck. I'll see if I can find it. Tim, you are correct. One of them is the Starving Games. Yep. Congratulations. Trash. The best night ever is the other 0%. Oh, okay. And super fast, according to Wikipedia, doesn't have enough okay, oh, that, for yeah, a rating yeah, on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm going to go and check this on Rotten Tomatoes right now and see if it does actually have anything possibly redeeming about it. I can't imagine it does. Super fast, a one hour and 39 quote unquote comedy movie from 2015. <laughs> That's quite long. Uh, yes, but yeah, 99 minutes, three reviews on, on Ron Tomatoes <laughs> with an audience score of 23%. Good lord. Which is, which is higher than it should be, Far but that's high. also pretty low for Rotten Tomatoes. Exactly. A review from the LA Times. This is the little snippet here. While fans can appreciate all the winks and nudges, the film is a wreck for the uninitiated. <laughs> Uh, fuck off. Get it? Get is, it? Is, wreck? is Super Fun Night or whatever it's called Best, Best Night, Night ever. ever? Is that actually a parody film or is that just them trying to actually make a comedy? That's a straight film, isn't it? Or are they trying to parody like The Hangover or something? I think it's oh, it a parody is, of The Hangover no, type Of course stuff. it is, yes, yes. yes. It's, it's Bridesmaids and Hangovers. Yeah. And yeah. It's a bachelorette party in Las Vegas and that whole thing. Which is like parodying comedy. Is so tricky because layers and layers of comedy is already self-aware. Yeah. Here's here's a question for you because I must admit I I didn't put this on my list later and I wanted to and I thought "Eh," because I think it just exists too much in its own right rather than being a a, 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 
a send-up of a genre. I think it's a send-up of a people or a thing. So I mentioned Adam McKay earlier. Um, obviously doing the big shorts mm-hmm. and Don't Look Up and Vice and stuff. And mm-hmm. very heavy satirical elements. But what yep. he's known for to the general public is Anchorman. Yeah. And in, what I want to talk about is Talladega Nights. Yes. Talladega Nights ain't a fucking parody of Days of Thunder or any other sort of... It's, mm. it's a send-up of a, of a um, sport. Yes. But is it a parody? I don't think... Same with because Angman, it's not, it's like, Yeah, because the closest thing it could be parodying is something like Days of Thunder. Yeah. And there's not really enough of those type of films. Like, mm. it, I guess it could be a general sports movie parody. You could kind Kinda. of consider it. It has that kind of like, oh, he hits adversity and then, you know, has comes to find back. himself with some crazy mm, ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Reconnects with his there's father. Pl- there's and, plenty yeah. of cliches in there, but it, yeah. Not yeah, really there's specific. maybe maybe parody elements without actually being a parody. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I know I've jumped forward to our Rotten Tomatoes section, which we don't really do that much in the end of season. <laughs> I have found the positive review oh, for Disaster <laughs> Movie. Bring it on. Uh, from on. Disaster Movie would be obviously the send up of um, which films in particular, Jack? I, mean, I guess like. 2012 correct um, yeah. it was it's the it's emrick yes yes yeah. it's Ro- roland emrick essentially yeah disaster movie i think it's when we talked about stargate a few weeks yeah. ago yeah, that makes sense because i think the i'm just trying to remember the you know the the big names as in actors involved in disaster movie ah! looking through them now and Good i'm like is there anybody the carmen electric yes obviously that was the name that was the joke um <laughs> that was the, as was the style Kim at the time Kardashians yes. in it ugh cool ugh Tony Cox, little person actor. Uh, fuck, even the cameos are bad. <laughs> I yeah. couldn't. I, no, nobody. Right, nobody. Good. Right. Yeah. And this I was feel 2008. Like, yeah. I feel like Date Movie was the last one that had people. That, Alison Hannigan. Alison Hannigan's yeah. in it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I is agree. weird, given that she was in the American Pie films. Like, yeah. <laughs> essentially, that's what they're a parody of. So, yeah. 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 From. Theage.com.au <laughs> Australians, eh? Yes. Bloody Australians. Fucking Jim, hilarious. Jim Shremby from October 10th. You better do Australian. 2008. Voice. What else is there to say? You'll like Meet the Spartans. You'll love this latest reference laden spoof from writer directors Jason Friedberg and Aaron Seltzer. American comedian Nell pa- Nicole Parker from Mad TV, who spiced up Spartans, I assume he means Meet the Spartans. <laughs> Does so again here with hilarious turns as Amy Winehouse, Jessica Simpson, and the Daffy Princess from Enchanted. The, the Daffy Princess. The Daffy Princess. I don't fully know what he means by that. She looks crazy. Like a, looks like a duck. <laughs> Daffy means crazy. And a duck. <laughs> the film also contains the funniest Juno spoof yet. Because you're looking for Juno spoofs. As if there are multiple Juno spoofs to compare to. Nothing says disaster it's like Juno. Yeah. It's the funniest one yet. Well, that, that's the thing, is that they became just general purpose. Here's films that came out in the last 18 months, Correct. basically. Yeah. You'll remember this. Because Meet and, the Spartans and... turns into like a bunch of other films end up like fighting the Spartans and yeah. the other hit films of the mid-2000s. And it's like... Yeah. Celebrity... Like, like the fact that it has like Amy Winehouse in Disaster Movie and stuff yeah. like that. It's just... It's it's any old shit. Nicole Parker plays Amy Winehouse, Jessica Simpson, and a version of the princess from Enchanted. Yikes. Christ. I mean, also, because if you think about Scary Movie 3, it's about signs, and at some point later in the film, the Matrix reloaded. Yes. 
To finish off, a dumb, dumb film to be sure, but also undeniably funny in more spots than a right-thinking, mature adult person feels comfortable admitting. Fuck you, Jim. Yeah, I was going to say, the Australian accent helps it because it's like... <laughs> it makes it more endearing. Yeah, so that's the whole like, oh, he's, he's harmless. Um, but 3.5 out of 5. Barely scraping by that, that <laughs> but, positive yeah, one. Yeah, it's, a, it's the single positive of 74 critical reviews. Has an audience score of 21 Even for the record. audience, man. Yeah. But, and the thing is, there used to be a fair amount of uh, legitimacy and authority to a parody film. And by that, I mean you could launch a career with it. So I mentioned, you know, uh, uh, Leslie Nielsen in Airplane. Yeah. Um, obviously, Amel Brooks. Mm. Uh, Anna Faris, again, yeah, an actual yeah, capable yeah. actor. She gets a start out in, in, in these kind of comedies. Uh, Stephen Chow um, doing things like um, Kung Fu Hustle. Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah. yeah. And uh, which was it? Challenge Soccer. Challenge Soccer, yeah. Um, and they, yeah, they're, they're, they're send ups to things like that. So it's like, it's very silly, very, very reverent, very funny, mm. etc. Um, That being said, I feel like like Charlie Sheen kind of got like a second career. Exactly. Out of Hot Shots. Hot Shots. Hot Shots yeah. like a scary movie. Yeah. Because he was three or four, I want to yeah. say. Yeah. Because he was a very serious act. I, I don't think he was known for comedy before those. Nope. And then obviously that led to him getting stuff like Two and a Half oh, Men. Man. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, was, he was Martin Sheen's kid. Yes. He's like, the guy from Apocalypse Now. It's like, yes. Yeah. It's like, fucking put him in the Oliver Stone movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, it's, 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 that's the line in, in Hot Shots part. No. Yes. Part two, which yeah. is the whole, I loved you in Wall Street kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's the, it's sort of like, oh, this guy's, this guy could be funny. It's like, yeah. yeah Cause he's a serious actor who, who, uh, you know, has, you know, issues. Yeah. Um, but, and I, and I want to sort of posit a theory here. Why you know actors start stemming away from it, and they're like, "Oh no, I'm not, I'm not getting involved in that." It's like, yeah, once you start poking fun at the system, you don't get out of that. Can you think of a lot of Leslie Nielsen films that weren't Dracula, Dead and Loving It, and other sort of like you know comedy, yeah, yeah. like uh, obviously the Naked Gun sort of style thing? Mm. And you end up with, no, I don't want to touch it. I don't want to be near it. I mean, the, the Farrelly brothers and, and Judd Apatow and stuff would do these kind of comedies, yeah. but subversive, but not the same way. And then you get to the stage of. I think there's an important one here. 2010. I mean, even like with these guys doing like fucking disaster movies, they stopped in 2015. Yeah. Because it doesn't become fiscally viable. Yeah. In my opinion, because of YouTube. Oh, interesting. Because we've got a stage of the last 10, nearly 15 years of MCU dominating mm. shit. Um, Avatar being fucking laughable. Star Wars still being the state that it's in at the minute. Mm. Huge studio-driven corporate empire stuff. Bond is still being ridiculous Bond, but in a very different way now. And people have a faster turnaround by just punching something out that's cheap mm. and funny, and most importantly, funny mm. on YouTube. Yeah. So if you get like people will people will still quote. Um, I don't know who it is. Probably a college humor or some other fucking site. Quote parodies of The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises. Mm. Um, because you you didn't have to do a film, you didn't have to have a studio released movie about you know all the Batman films or whatever mm. it would happen to be, or just superheroes in general. I mean, there's a superhero movie, but it was, that was really kind of a previous commentary on the older superhero films mm. in the early 2000s. So you say we don't need to do that. I can just get on TikTok, make a silly voice, that becomes a sound. It's everywhere. Yeah, we're all mocking the same thing. Why would I invest 
literally millions of dollars on a thing that, yeah, sure, will look good. And um, the starving games being a mocking of like young adult fiction stuff. And I want to say Harry Potter might have been in there somewhere. Maybe Probably. This is one of them, one of them that was in there somewhere. Yeah. It's like, oh, look, what? Look, he's a 40 year old man now. It's like, mm. sure. Yeah. It's lazy joke. But because you have the saturation of a free and a, a very available semi viral platform like Twitter and YouTube, where you can create this content quickly and people now have access to 4K cameras, digital cameras, phones that you can film with. And you have, uh, we talked about this before, other things. After Effects and things is a little cheaper. You get mm. digital packages. You mm. can fuck about with this stuff on the internet. Get it out there quickly and go, ha that's hilarious. 50 million views. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, is that if you look at, for example, Saturday Night Live, does a bunch of parody stuff. And because it's working on a smaller budget and the turnaround is a lot quicker, yeah. it can afford to do, like, for example, it has done a parody of Wes Anderson films, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. would never be financially viable to release as a film, but as a, as a three-minute sketch, you can do that and not worry, oh, maybe not everyone in the audience is going to get this because you're playing to a much smaller number of people and you're not hinging the entire thing on does, does, do people get this single kind of reference or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just part of a larger thing. And, and YouTube and TikTok and all those kind of platforms are a continuation of that because mm-hmm. the investment is so much lower. Even if you're putting hard work into it and, you know, making costumes and stuff like that, if you're only making, you know, three-minute sketches or even, you know, 10-minute short films or whatever, that's a much lower hurdle. And also, you know, at the end of the day, the thing that you want from a parody film is that it'd be funny. And that yep. generally comes from writing and performance. And those are things that the 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 talent is out there. Yeah. And often, you know, because of the way Hollywood is, you know, horribly incestuous and, you know, all these kind of things, there's a whole bunch of people who don't have the opportunity to tell these jokes. But now that platform has been erased with the internet and there's a much greater accessibility. So you have new voices coming through who can take a different angle on stuff and point out things that maybe the people who, you know, your Mel Brooks's wouldn't think to parody, you know. Or and can... it feels relatable because the audience is there because they're mm. mirroring who exactly. they're talking to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's just everything is accelerated and happening at a much faster pace. And so, yeah, there's plenty of jokes and sketches out there. I mean, you think about all the, the um, how it should have ended uh, yeah. videos and exactly. stuff like that of superhero films and the MCU and all that kind of things. and But there's also, you know, parodying requires knowledge of the genre and there's also a whole bunch of, you know, video essayists and blogs writing, you know, things about, you know, oh, you know, th- things you didn't realise about Guardians of the Galaxy and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And so that itch from audiences to explore a genre while also having a bit of self-aware fun, that's dissipated because it's being taken care of elsewhere. Yeah, mm. definitely. I think there's another thing that's key about sketches and short versions and YouTube clips and TikTok and all that kind of stuff. I think it's very much where the Freeberg and Seltzer kind of stuff went wrong is that they don't overstay their welcome. That's true, yeah. Yep. When you get something like Meet the Spartans, I know I'm harping on Meet the Spartans, <laughs> but it's a big Fuck pile of film. dog shit. And... 
the fact that the parody of the 300, as we mentioned, only lasts for so long before it turns into a bunch of celebrity cameos and references to other films of the time and mm. blah, 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 blah. It's, it is I, not a parody of 300. It is a bunch of other shit comedy stuff crammed in there as mm. well. Whereas you can do a funny parody of 300 in three and a half minutes, get all your jokes in and be done and not worry about all the other bullshit that then clogs it up mm. and doesn't work. Well, uh, two, two sort of parallel examples from the same time. You got Meet the Spartans and it was like, he kicks people in a pit. Mm. What if he kicks a lot of people in the Loads pit? Loads of them. Who's going to kick in the pit? Well, Britney Spears just shaved her head. Okay. Kick her in the pit. She's going. That, that's the joke, by the way. She just like it's a sort of harmonization thing. She has a baby. Quote, quote unquote joke. It's very bad. And they kick her in the pit. And then someone else. The internet, however, was doing Spartans on a plane. Yeah. Which at the time I remember being quite funny. I remember because it was short. There was the redub as well. Yes. Like, yes. Even things like what oral noughts do and like um, yeah. bad lip sync and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Bad lip reading. Like taking. Just original clips and your boy Kylo Ren. Exactly. Rewriting stuff and making it seem like the characters are doing mm. other stuff or adding, as you said, using After Effects and adding a different thing or a spin mm-hmm. to it or whatever. That is such a easier way of doing it. And as we said, makes it so much more accessible for so many different creators, as you said, Tim, who aren't already a part of the Hollywood machine and who mm. aren't already like, oh yeah, he's so and so's nephew or they're married to so and so, whatever it is. So you can actually get away with doing I have the budget to make this five-minute thing on yes. YouTube. Matthew being a perfect example here. You know, Hello. You were a creator on YouTube yourself because, yeah. like, who the fuck would fund a guy from, no offense, a guy from Norwich no, you're right, you're making right. a live-action anime web series mm. that spans years and years and years full of a bunch of nobodies, essentially. It's fair. Yeah, and Stuart mm. Ashton. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's things like that. It, it's, it's because those passion platforms, project stuff. Yeah, it's passion yeah. project stuff that gives creators like yourself and so many others the ability to do this kind of stuff without having to be a part of that machine, without having to kiss corporate. I don't have to justify it to a producer. I just yeah. do it. And you have creative yeah. freedom as well. And I think that's where you give, like you said, Tim, when you get performance and writing that aren't necessarily dependent on budget, you know the right people, then you can get these incredible performances and incredible p- clever pieces of writing that come out of a budget of five bucks or 10 bucks, or I spent the weekend building a dodgy bat suit and now i've got my mate playing batman like yeah yeah that that can give so much creative freedom that you don't get in a bigger hollywood production mm. and i think like you know we talked we've given meet the spartans it's it's necessary drubbing and obviously all the associated ha- have we tim we've 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 given it a drop we've given it Not, a drubbing it's never enough yeah um <laughs> but with something like that you know when you're taking especially when you're taking quite a narrow field of like okay we're this is we're parodying three hundred, which it's not itself, even parodying a genre. <laughs> yeah, which itself was was like Sword and Sandals films weren't. Obviously, there was a bunch that came after. We had the Clash of the Titans and Immortals and stuff that were responding to three hundred being popular. But three hundred, yeah. what itself was quite apart from trends at the time. Yeah. There were not a lot of Sword and Sandals going on. Um, but if you want to make a three hundred parody film, there's kind of the two paths of it are okay, well, we're just going to fill it up with jokes that aren't necessarily about... And it's kind of the Mel Brooks, you know, it, the, the, the Spaceballs, etc. Yeah. The Friedberg and Seltzer, you know. Um, okay, well, that it's just... It's a bare frame and we fill it up with jokes. Or you kind of have to 
be a generally more affectionate parody and you actually have to put the work in to make it a decent film as well because there are parodies out there where it's like oh no this film is actually like genuinely good and a, and a, and in, you know something like scream is yeah, absolutely. a genuine horror movie while also being a parody of horror films or you can make a scary movie that's just taking the piss out of the thing and then filling it up with you know jokes and so obviously making a good film requires a lot more effort and a lot more thought you know even if it's still a parody um whereas the fill it up with jokes method you can translate that into a sketch like you couldn't turn scream in into a sketch it would it would morph it completely, but you could turn you could kind of turn scary movie into yeah. a sketch, yeah, because it's it's a lot broader, and it's the parody is a lot more uh, less sharp, I guess. It's a blunter yes. instrument, and th- and that's that's why huge stu- well big cinematic releases of of these parody films, if we let's face it, are or become time capsules. Mm. They become because then when you start filling the gap, when you start saying right, well, okay, we got this, this send up of, uh, Top Gun, okay, what's it called Hot Shots, Top Gun Hot Shots, okay, yeah, that makes sense, I mean, that works. What else are we gonna be that? Ah, you know, just a lot of you know, pro America, and as it became later, Rambo was a big send up as well. Yeah, action kind of things and this weird eighties nineties you know testosterone driven mm. thing. Guys as a war film, kind of, and not yeah. knowing what to do with it out of a post-Vietnam kind of way. It's like, okay. But what also come, becomes at the same time is a time capsule of the late 80s, early 90s. The sensibilities, the politics, the music, the styles, the, everything is there because it's like, put in a joke. It's like, well, the jokes you're going to put in are going to be meant to be tickling the current audience. Yeah. And that is also going to be it uh, is going to date incredibly quickly mm. and on top of that shit is already dated the second you get it out there yeah it's already because of the nature of how it takes to make films and how they're in production you're telling jokes in three or four years ago as i mentioned about the the meet the spartans thing again fuck that film um, <laughs> is the idea that all those films were i, th- I think date movie did a parody or, or a, a, a a sampling of kill bill yeah every time Something happened at the, the alarm thing going off. Like, yeah. yeah, which is like that's not a that's not an industry thing. Something like that. It's a, it's a very odd thing to. Yeah, just, but it's like oh, I remember that thing going off all the time. Imagine we put it in our film and it's really annoying and everyone looks over and like, sure, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, and then what are you again? It comes like Amy Winehouse. It's like that's a weird choice. Why? Because yeah. oh, she's in the news. You know, like if we had that now, if we had this 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 same, um. Uh, momentum with them and they were produced at the same quantity and stuff it'd be like who's it gonna be Megan fucking Markle I'm like yeah of course it is and all mm. this stuff comes out and you'd be like who's on the roster because that's the kind of shit you get in a sketch show now mm. or a YouTube sketch or a TikTok because mm. it's the it's the flavour of the moment yeah and in 10, 15, 20 years time very few people will end up caring mm. well in theory um, because we've kind of played it to death we've passed on we don't really care about it, it does, it's not important mm. to the next uh down the line thing so i mean you could say like right we're going to write a movie it's going to take a year and a half to produce but it's gonna be great we're gonna we're gonna take the piss out of insert genre here anything mm. that's bigger than it 
It's going to be um, w- weird, subversive horror stuff that's going out of nowhere. Folktales mm. like Ariasta kind of thing. So mm. registering things. Okay, that, mm. that's doable. We can do that. Let's do that. And I want to put a joke in there about Andrew Tate and Greta Thunberg. And even me saying that now on this mm-hmm. podcast, in the next week or two when it comes out and things like that, it's like, oh no, I remember that happening. Yeah, it was a thing. It was in the internet. And then a year goes by. Who the f- is Tate? Hopefully. Who's <laughs> and then he goes further down the line. It becomes, yeah, I, I don't remember what this was about, was but that, I remember yeah. that thing. It was that thing. Oh, it was like some, it was, was it a pizza and some One of the police many or something? Like, yeah. 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 Tate gate. Tate gate. <laughs> uh, and then, but then, then she five, 10 years time is like, what the fuck are they talking about? Who is this? Is it yeah. an actor? I don't know what this is. Is it a film? And that's where this becomes the longevity mindset. And they become like, no one, very few people are rewatching those movies. They, they have lost their appeal because they were the less about... Flash in the pan type thing. Very right? much so. Yeah. And they're less concerned with actually creating a send-up of a genre or a cliche or a trope. It's just more like, just fill it with filler. And it's like, mm. nobody wants the filler. It's like, that's, that's pap now. I don't want yeah. it. Yeah. I think that's why something like Airplane works and why some of these, the, the good ones we're going to be talking about in the second half. Some sure. good, some not so good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. I think that's why they work, right? Because... As, as we've said this whole time, the reason they work is because they are legitimately funny and they are not so beholden to that specific moment in time. I remember this was a big thing with essentially The Simpsons versus South Park back in the 90s and early 2000s is that they, Stone and Parker were making South Park so quickly and such a small budget, they could turn around and be really topical on stuff and literally reference something that happened a matter of days ago. Whereas a Simpson episode took like nine months to animate and record all the voiceovers mm. and blah, blah, blah. So by the time they got around to parodying something, we're like, wait, Tate and Thumberg, what the fuck was that? Yeah. Hopefully. In, in like nine months mm. time. Whereas South Park would be able to reference that in a few days. Yes. And there are two sides to that, right? I think in TV, that makes total sense. In movies, you really want to kind of aim for something timeless. The way you get stuff like Blazing Saddles and Airplane and again, some of the ones we'll talk about in the second half, that have stood the test of time and are still considered funny films. You can show somebody a lot of these films in the modern day and they are still funny. Mm. However, mm-hmm. as you said earlier, Matt, as a person who has never seen Airplane, I have seen all of the jokes, funny enough, through The Simpsons and yeah. other stuff <laughs> yeah. like that, yeah. where they have taken, funny enough, they have parodied the parody mm. and to the point where I'm like, do I need to see Airplane? I kind of, I've seen the clips, I've seen all the different references. And I, somebody says, don't call me Shirley. I'm like, oh, I know that's a thing. I'm sure there's a bunch I'm missing though. So there's, there's that. In, and some things I probably do, don't even realize are references to that thing. And it can still be funny. That's where a parody film can really, really work is you don't necessarily have to have that like encyclopedic knowledge of the source material. It's just funny in and of its own right. And you can still enjoy it. Without being like, oh yeah, I, n- I know airport like the back of my hand. I need that to understand all ten of these jokes that happened in the last five minutes. I agree with you. I can give you the, uh, I think, oh. a prime example. Oh, here we go. More specifically, a prime example of parodies that are so good you forget their parodies, and they're so good that when one of them comes out, the director forgets he's supposed to be doing a parody. <laughs> I'm talking about Edgar Wright. Oh. Shaun of the Dead yeah. is a parody. But yeah. it's so good as a standalone yeah. film, it doesn't feel like a zombie yeah. movie parody. Mm. 
Um, it has all the quirks, tropes, silly things, and it references through the fucking nose, but it's enough of its own thing that it feels yeah. like it's set up in a different way, right? It's like the mm. Talladega Nights Anchorman style, like, well, no, but it also has the actual I mean, very heavy references. Shaun of, of the, the Dead. dead. Like, yeah. <laughs> the clues and the title. Absolutely. Then you get Hot Fuzz. That's very much a send up of all yeah. kinds of these. these it's Michael films. Bay. It's yeah. Tony Scott. Yeah. It's, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And also the. Straight up point break references and all yeah. kinds of stuff. Like, and yeah. the sort of Midsummer Murders, these small yeah. town things. Yeah. The yeah. weird yeah. mashup there. Yeah. What in the fuck <laughs> is World's End a, par- a parody of? Terrible from terrible fucking movies. I'm I like, don't know. I don't care about it much. I, but I'm also like. Alien. Stuff. Invasion like, robot yeah. thing is it's sort of ish faculty. It, uh, yeah. it almost no. kind of feels like it's maybe a sort of a Doctor Who parody in a sort of way, in that kind of like Middle England sci-fi. <laughs> I, I mean, I get that. I You're not wrong, Tim. I've never thought of it that way. Or like You're a Quatermass parody or something. But yeah, yeah. But with but, but none of the visuals confirm that. No, it doesn't try to have. The the uncomfortable uh, robots feeling like cardboard nonsense. No, it's like no, it's still high budget effects. Whereas in the zombie movies, it's like yeah, I don't know. It's it's very frustrating because again, it's like yeah, you made great parodies, and then you had he. I don't know why the background of it. It felt like the third of the Cornetto trilogy was like never coming, and more like an obligation he it, had to come. It definitely be, felt like to. yeah, they 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 had made it a thing and so they were like okay well i guess we have to make a third one yeah and this is it like yeah. i said i know somebody who listens to this show hello chandler if you are listening <laughs> who not only thinks the world's end is the best of the cornetto trilogy it's one of his favorite films ever and he has a tattoo of it on his leg i will i will be devil's advocate for a moment <laughs> a brief moment there is a fantastic core message in that film about uh, mental health and all kinds of things. Oh, sure, I can yeah. absolutely see people getting mm. The problem is it needed a much stronger film to be in mm. that didn't end with the moral being, yes, you don't need to change. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> I was right all along, fuck you. Yeah. 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 And now I'm rewarded with, I guess, daily quests in an apocalypse? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> so, uh, sorry. But the beehive no? fight still slaps. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. But also, as we said before, favourites can't argue with that. No, that's that's your your view. <laughs> I like to argue with that. That's fair. You can. <laughs> We've had many a Twitter DM arguing about that over the years. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible has literally thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, comedy specials, guided meditations, and basically anything to tickle your delightful little ears. And we're here to enhance that fantastic experience because. Not only do you get a free month trial of Audible service, you get a free audiobook courtesy of the three of us. You're welcome. Yeah. All you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash sequel. And like I said, you get a free trial and their month service and a free audiobook with no obligation to carry on with their subscription. But yeah, I've been doing it for, did the calculations a few weeks ago. I think it's 11 coming up on 12 years of Audible subscription. I've listened to a lot of audiobooks over the years, so I highly recommend it. It is a delightful experience. And you can also listen to us on there. You can listen to podcasts, including sequelizers. So if you want to consolidate all of your audio experiences with your audiobooks and your podcasts, you can listen to us and your audiobooks of choice on there as well. And funnily enough, my recommendation for this week is tying into one of my picks. For the second half of the episode, so I'm going to kind of spoil myself a little bit. Ooh. 
and we'll dive into it. I am talking about Weird Al. Seriously. That's the title of the book. <laughs> By Lily E. Hirsch and featuring the one and only Dr. Demento. Because yes, it's co-written by Dr. Demento. <laughs> it is 10 hours chronicling the life and career of one Weird Al Yankovic. And I will be talking about that in a slightly different mm. way in a few moments. And yeah, I have listened to this. I very much enjoy it. There's a new edition released, I think it was late last year, so November 2022. Um, very, very good. It's about 10 hours long. It's a pretty in-depth dive into Al and his eccentricities, basically, <laughs> and his entire career. It's very funny. It's funny in its own right, and then it's actually telling his story, but it's, it's funny and really well written. Uh, narrated really well by Emily Elliott as well. She's a fantastic uh, narrator as well. So and that can be a barrier for some people with certain audiobooks. I've encountered that with a couple of audiobooks recently where I'm like, I want to enjoy this story. The narrator's putting me off. So yeah, you can go and listen to samples and all that sort of stuff before you buy it as well. So yeah, go over to audibletrial.com slash sequel if you want to get some more Weird Al in your life. I recommend Weird Al, seriously, by Lily E. Hirsch and Dr. Demento. But you can pick an audiobook of your own choice and get it for free, courtesy of us. So I suppose I should kick things off then, right? Speaking of Weird Al, if you heard the ad, by the way, hello patrons, you didn't hear the ad, but yeah. I just talked about Weird Al in the ad, and I'm going to talk about Weird Al right now. I'm talking about a film that came out literally a few months ago. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Oh my god! Tim, have you seen it? I haven't. I really <gasps> want to. I've seen a film that the other two sequelizers haven't seen. It does happen every now and again. Yeah. It's because the distribution has been bullshit. Yes. It is uh, on Paramount Plus or something weird. or No, it was... Um, Roku. 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 Thank you, Tim. Yes. If you have a Roku-compatible device, you can sign up for their weird, like, ad-supported version of something. It was very confusing. Turns out Emma, my wife's TV, was a Roku device by accident. We didn't realize it. So I was like, sweet. Mm -hmm. Perfect. I'm going to just end up watching it there. But yes, I'm talking about Weird, the Al Yankovic story, starring Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al Yankovic. Which you've been waiting for since they first advertised it. I have been. I was excited for this film before I even knew it was apparent. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, a Weird Al story. I'm a massive Weird Al fan, have been for years and years and years. And it lived up to the hype. It is. I'm not going to spoil it because it is so fresh. And. It goes places you don't think it will go to, but it is non-stop bullshit insanity in the <laughs> best possible way. It is a perfect parody of the over-the-top musical biopic, something we'll be talking about again later oh, yeah. on in the show, because the irony of... This was kind of the example I was talking about where you have a bunch of musical biopics that happened over the decades, and then something... Another pick we'll be talking about in a minute kind of defined it and should have killed the whole thing. But no, the industry soldiered on and made a bunch of them anyway. We had recent examples like Rocket Man, a Bohemian Rhapsody, and all that kind of stuff. And this is that. And it does maybe the best example of the the classic biopic thing for musicians where you have the oh, I came up with the song on the spot and it was a miracle moment and Oh, I can't believe it. Except it's his par Weird Al's parody of 
my Sharona is my Bologna. Yeah. And he's just making us, his mate, his housemate at the time goes, oh, Al, could you get, um, uh, would you mind making a sandwich? Do you mind finishing off my sandwich? I've just put the toast in. And then Al turns around, accordion in hand somehow, <laughs> and and my Sharona is playing on the radio, and it starts skipping. He's like, "How is that possible? It's on the it's on the radio. That's not how radios work." And he taps the radio, and it kicks back in. And then the singing voice of Daniel Radcliffe is the actual Weird Al, which is fucking weird, but kind of adds to the whole thing of it. And yeah. It, that kind of sets the scene. It's not even an early part of the film, but there is one of the best party scenes I've ever seen with, speaking of cameos in parody films, the most insane amount of cameos. Half of Lonely Island are there. You won't even fucking recognize them. Jack Black is there stealing the fucking show. It's absolutely insane. And the most insane thing is, of course, the very well-known story of Weird Al Yankovic's uh, sordid romance with Madonna. As everyone yeah. knows, as totally factual and actually happened in real life. It didn't, for those of you who, are, who aren't aware of Weird Al. Definitely not a real thing. But Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna is fucking mental in the best way possible. It is something, it goes places with Madonna and their journey that you just don't expect and turns, he, she turns Weird Al into like this weird badass, like. I don't give a shit. He puts cigarettes out on people's hands and stuff. <laughs> Bear in mind, Weird Al is like, I think he's super clean cut. He barely swears, yeah. let alone smokes or does drugs or anything like that. He is about as clean cut as you can possibly get. His vice is that he's wacky. Yes. yes. That's yeah. it. Accordion is his Accord vice. Accord yeah. Pucker. Uh, <laughs> keep buying these accordions. Yeah. Don't and you think you've had enough, sir? <laughs> That's pretty much a quote from the film <laughs> where like that he gets accosted by an accordion door-to-door -door salesman <laughs> and apparently that is really what happened <laughs> but his dad um his dad talks about like no son of mine is going to play polka <laughs> <laughs> and it's almost like polka is like death metal and like yeah. satanic stuff is like that's the devil's music, boy. We do not play poker in this house. <laughs> it's fucking stupid and brilliant. And again, you don't need to know Weird Al to go into it. It helps because I knew all the songs going in and stuff. But they are newly recorded versions of the songs for the most part. And Daniel Radcliffe is a fucking godsend. When isn't he? Daniel Radcliffe is just on a... Yeah, a, sweet boy. He's just the sweetest of boys. He's about the same age as me. He's he's sweet boy. <laughs> he is brilliant. He is ripped and sexy <laughs> for some reason. Sweet boy, as, as you need to be when playing Weird Al. That's the whole thing, right? Yeah. He he specifically asked Al like, "What would you like me to do?" And they worked with producers, and he was like, "I'm gonna get like weirdly sexy about it. Like just just not like super, not like Zac Efron. Oh my god, he's like filled mm. up like a balloon. He's super jacked." But he's like in really good shape mm. and does like a bunch of like sexy gyrating on stage at one point. You're like, huh, that's that's all weird. Weird Al exclusively wears Hawaiian shirts on stage. <laughs> Just a tall, lanky, weird dude. Yeah, yeah. with this yeah. big like weird hair and he yeah. has like the mustache and a big ridiculous perm and stuff. And then there's Daniel Radcliffe, just still with the same hair and mustache combination, but weirdly sexy. 
And it, it's a weird thing to kind of have a crush on Weird Al <laughs> because Daniel Radcliffe is so sexy about it. And yeah, Weird Al himself shows up as the record producer that turns him down and then he comes back around to. And Which, it's, speaking of the parody thing, is a parody of Bohemian Rhapsody. Exactly, yes. It's a classic thing. And just, it, again, it goes places I don't want to spoil because <laughs> <laughs> there's a moment where you, th- you kind of work out what's going on and then Al like comes up with a theory. Turns out his theory is true. And there's another layer of fucking madness on top of the madness. Brilliant. Now. Brilliant. Oh, okay, right. This this is where this film is going. And suddenly there's a fucking um kind of like Kingsman style action scene. Okay. Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> is this a dream sequence? And this film is like it's all real. <laughs> Dream sequences are also real because fuck you. In like a rocket man kind of way where, oh, he falls into the pool and then, oh, he's swimming through and it becomes like a music video yes. transition thing and it's all this kind of thing. Shit like that happens, but then people in the real life comment on what's happening. It's yeah. like, how is he doing that? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't know he could do that. It's like, does anybody, did anybody check that he's allowed to do that? It's like, he's doing it. It doesn't matter. It's, batshit insane it's the funniest film of last year one of my favorite films of last year like i said i'm a huge weird al fan and i went in with big expectations and high hopes even if you're not a weird al fan i think you will still appreciate it for just how insane it is how much it really leans into the pastiche of i've been a hard it's been a hard life i've done all the drugs i've had sex with all the women which is the polar opposite of Weird Al's entire career, basically. Well, if you think about UHF, which is a film that yeah. stars Weird Al, which has that nature. I mean, there's like all kinds of ridiculous parody. It's a Rambo parody in there as well, that kind of thing. Um, it's always been his bread and butter. Parody is his thing. Yeah. To the degree that I think I know certain songs with Weird Al's lyrics, American Pie, for example, uh, being the Star Wars prequels, I know that better than I do the actual songs. So like, I don't fucking know how it goes. Yeah. I, I don't think that. I know that. Yes. I know I know like certain songs with the Weird Al lyrics than I don't know the original song. Yeah. For some reason, my wife knows the entire nine minutes of American Pie, the original uh, by Don McLean. My I sympathies. Don't, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why she would ever want to memorize it's the same verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus for nine minutes. <laughs> but I do know all of The Saga Begins by Weird Al yeah. My, my. Which it's is your Anakin guy. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe Vader, someday later. Now he's just, just a small fry. fry. <laughs> we will not continue. Don't worry. We don't, want to. Don't tempt me, Matthew. <laughs> don't tempt me, Frodo. Exactly. But yeah, couldn't recommend Weird more. It is even crazier than the trailers led on in the best way possible. If you know Weird Al and his history, there are fantastic references to all that kind of stuff. I mentioned Dr. Demento in the ad read. Hello, patrons, you didn't hear the ad read. Dr. Demento is a mad eccentric radio DJ who essentially discovered Weird Al and brought him into the mainstream and all this kind of stuff. He's played by uh, Rain Wilson. Of course he is. Insanity. Absolute (laughs) fucking madness. And he is apparently as eccentric as that in real life, and Reem Wilson dials it up to 15. And yeah, it is just hilarious and ridiculous, and like I said, one of my film favourite films of last year, and I thought last year was a pretty damn good 
year for films. Fair. The Northman and weird, like, <laughs> clashing heads. I, I'm very much looking forward to it, basically. I, yeah. It's one of those frustrations where, like, when Booksmart came out, and to be fair, even everything everywhere all at once, mm. you're like, cool, I can't wait for the Blu-ray. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I not buy it? It's like, I'm saying you can't. Oh, fucking hell. You can watch it on one of the streaming services that will have it on there for an indeterminate amount yeah. of time and then it will disappear forever. Yeah. But yes, highly recommend Weird. Go and check it out if you haven't already seen it on the one particular odd streaming service that it's on. If you have access to that thing through. Ugh. I mean, classic parody. Hard to fucking get it out there. Just download it. He almost authorized it with her tweet. Didn't he he did, yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> Subliminally, <laughs> if said. you read all of the words in like capital letters, it was like, "Please pirate this movie" yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Good old weirdo. Anyway, Matthew, how about you? How about your um, first pick? I've got two picks. Um, I'm going to go with the most easy segue. Mm. It makes most sense because the one referenced, I referenced earlier, literally referenced it. Uh, I am remember seeing this film on a plane to America, and loved it and i thought this is so razor sharp it's going to change the industry that's what we all thought and i thought it's not just that it's it's the team involved lot heavy amounts of snl cast and the office cast and john c Riley in the lead and judd apatow writing I'm like this is it this is gonna get the platform this is gonna fuck everything up i can't wait for it people don't know what the film I'm about to talk about <laughs> is. And that's, I'm like, how? So the film in question is called Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story from 2007. Yeah. We've all seen it, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's directed by Jake Kasdan. Um, it is, for the most part, a pretty straight parody of Ray, which came out in 2004 mm. about um, Ray Charles, and Walk the Line, which came out in 2005, about Johnny Cash. Yeah. yeah. Two very, very similar films. Yeah. To the point that they're obviously the music's dramatically different, the story's different, but at the same time, they're both incredibly talented, incredibly successful musicians in their own right, very prominent personalities, um, very, very um different backstories, but they're tragic backstories, mm. obviously. Um, issues with women and sex and yep. drugs, most yep. importantly. Mm. Like, okay, let's go. Mm. Um, and both of them won Oscars and all kinds of things for the points because they, yeah. they were amazing. And 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 also examples of uh, people like Jamie Foxx and Wacky Phoenix doing really good impressions for back better. Yeah, mm, yeah. Now, Walk Hard is about John C. Riley playing a similar character, mm. and he goes through similar things. So in 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 Johnny Cash's uh, history, he and his brother are out playing one day, and his older I think his older sibling, who was going to be a preacher one day, you know, he's like, oh my God, he's such a saintly child, mm. dies in a horrible accident. Robert Patrick plays his dad and he's like being an old bastard from the fucking, mm. like alive in the 1800s kind of thing. It's like, what were you doing? Mm. And it's just not to deal with his stuff. And it goes on to define cash. And no matter how much he's successful or not, he can't get over it. Mm. And it does, it's never said explicitly, but Robert Patrick might as well say, wrong kid died. Mm. Now, Walk Hard has no problem doing the whole <laughs> natural phrase of, my God, you cut your brother in half with a machete. The wrong kid died. I'm going to go on to be a baseball star and an astronaut set foot on the moon. I'm the best kid. It's like, I bet you are. And then they're like having really dangerous things because it's like country life. And then to tie it into the, the like, oh, we probably should reference Ray at some point as well. Okay, go ahead. We're going to do that. 
Mama, I can't smell anymore. <laughs> it's like, you gone smell blind. <laughs> because tragically, um, obviously Ray Charles goes blind. Um, and it's dealt with in a similar strategy. Like, oh my God, how would his life be different? As an African-American, it's like, oh, it's just a different lifestyle. So there's the fact that Walk Hard starts the same way that uh, Walk the Line starts where, and to be fair, kind of with Ray, he's off in the distance. He's in silhouette. Dewey Cox's got to think about his entire life before he plays. <laughs> there it is. Like, what's he up to? Yeah. yeah. And then we cut to the flashback and then the whole thing happens. Yeah. And it's like, there's one moment where they're having a fight and he's like, oh, you better not be coming up with an idea for a song. I'm coming up with an idea for a song. <laughs> and it is, it's dumb comedy. Yeah. And it literally is very much a send up of every fucking biopic you've ever seen, especially yeah. musicians. And it's so good because John C. Riley is a, fucking genius yeah and every cameo they've cast in a similar way you're talking about rain wilson for example it's the whole like oh by the way what about the you know johnny cash was big friends with elvis it's like look look this is a cash movie when i have no elvis in this film mm. you get one scene and what's the scene in the film uh you want some chili tree fries <laughs> no we have some beautiful girls out there it's like well Elvis is a bit of a weird prick it's like well i guess anyway this version is jack white um of, of the white stripes yeah. um, and he's just like well let's go hey we've got the good fillies out there and it's just drawing nonsense and mm. Dewey Cox is just being really nice and saying oh, hey man yeah, yeah you did a great job and he says oh don't get, don't get too close I know karate only two people <laughs> know karate the king and the Chinese it's like what the fuck <laughs> and he keeps rambling and Dewey Cox is, and his band is like what the fuck is going on and then he's like watch out man he walks with the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> um, and then it goes on to parody um, uh, Bob Dylan. It talks about the Beatles. Yeah. There's a whole passage of like, oh, you know, randomly meeting famous people who can't do good impersonations. You have Jack Black, again, weirdly, yeah. Yeah. Jack Black as Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Doing like Paul, almost like Scottish accent. Yeah, shit. Paul Rudd yeah. as John Lennon. Who's oh, doing Jason worst. Schwartzman as Ringo. Ringo and Justin, Justin Long. Long as George John, Harrison. Yeah. Oh, and they're oh. always like, well, being George Harrison of the Beatles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that right, Ringo from the Beatles? Yeah, thank you, George from the Beatles. I know, I started the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> Dewey Cox is a, I, I really feel that your song was just like this, and it's, a, it's amazing what you could do if you only uh, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and it stares straight to camera. Yeah. 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 Oh no, you're having a bad trip, and they do drugs, and it looks like we're a submarine. It's so dumb and so funny. And then there's a, you know, it, 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 even goes to the point where he's so old, that his song is being um, sampled by hip hop artists. Yep. Yeah. It's like, I don't understand what this is. <laughs> and it, uh, of course, ends on a freeze frame. Yes. And then you get the, the caption come up where it's like, Dewey Cox died 20 minutes after this photo was taken or something like that. <laughs> and that's the key thing. You don't have to have necessarily seen any of these films, especially those two, because mm. you just like, I've heard of a music biopic, I know about people's lives, and this is so dumb and funny that I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the quote I did from the top of the show is from, is from Ray, specifically, where he's like, kids, you're always fucking leaving me out, because I'm like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the blind guy. What is it? What are you doing in here? Mm. It's like, look, we're doing, we're doing drugs. We don't want none of this stuff, okay, man? It's like, mm. was that a liquor? Is it like, like, like sex? It's like, no, 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 no. This is what this is. And it's like, oh. Well, I want to be part of it. I want to be part of the team. Come on, I'm always, always sneaking off. Mm. Fuck you. And then in later, as, as the film goes on, Ray Charles is taking more drugs. Like, what's that? It's heroin. It escalates. And then 
sure enough, in the movie, <laughs> Dewey goes in and he's, he's literally, I'm just recounting scenes because that's the kind of comedy this is. Yeah, you just yeah. want to share it that way. And he's like, what are you doing here? We're smoking reefer. Yeah. What is that? I don't want to get a hangover. You don't get a hangover. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get to it. It's not habit forming. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, does it make you, like, when I have sex, it makes sex better. Yeah. I was like, okay, but it sounds really expensive. It's the cheapest drug there is. You don't want no part of this. Like, I think I do. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's so stupid. But it's also, you, you, you know that kind of story. Even if you're not watching these films, you know this kind of development, as it were. Yeah, it's, um, it's in the pop culture miasma. Very much that so. you, you recognize the tropes of it. Yeah. And so subsequently, it becomes the thing. The, the, diff, the, the only thing that's strange to me is that people haven't seen it mm. and it didn't have the impact that it was going to have. Again, we're talking about the time period, 2007. It's the same years as these, like, you know, in disaster movies, epic movies, that mm. kind of shit coming out. It's just one of the ones that happened to be good. Mm. And everyone knew about Ray and, and Walk the Line. And, other, and to be fair, any fucking biopic you've ever yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Go back to the, the doors. doors and, there yeah. we go. <laughs> um, and that's the point. And yet. So when Bohemian Rhapsody came out, I think I referenced it in my review, and so many critics keep saying, even though it's like no one's seen it, but obviously you have to review these things. It's like, how are we still producing films like Bohemian Rhapsody when it's Walk so po-faced and yeah, takes itself yeah, so seriously? seriously. Yeah. How, how can we do this? Yeah. It's, like, it's literally, you could just play on again, oh, they must have known. It's like, no, because they keep making the same fucking mistakes. Yeah. It's like, it challenged the industry to do better. And they went, ah, yeah, we're good. So I, I recommend that one. It's a very positive. I think it's very funny. I think it had like, um, it's, it's a weird one because it, it was like 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. So yeah. It was made on a budget of 35 million, but only made 21 million. Because again, yeah, very yeah. people saw it. But it, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. I think it's, I think it's worth watching. And again, 2004, 2005, this comes out mm. 2007, very much on it because you didn't have to because the, the, the tropes were so broad. It was in everything. It's yeah. Like, it's one of those films where everyone I know who has seen it loves it. Yep. Yeah. It's just not enough people have seen it. Yeah. And it's not on any streaming services, I imagine, so don't even fucking worry about that. Shit. Yeah. You have to buy, and buy a copy. Uh, Tim, let's come to you for your first pick. Yes. I very nearly did another music uh, biopic Ooh. parody. All three of us would have been like three yeah, for three yeah. at the start of it. Uh, but I decided to go a slightly different direction. What was the one you were going to pick, my ass? Well, I went for a film... Mm-hmm. Made by the same group of comedians and d- directors, mm-hmm. uh, but a slightly earlier work by them. So the film I almost picked was Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping. Fans of which never shut the fuck up about that movie. Yeah. Uh, but the film I decided to go for, which kind of, there was a debate and I, and I, I threw it out to the group and was like, Do you, does this count as a parody? Because I want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, is Hot Rod by Ooh. the Lonely Island crew from 2007. Mm-hmm. And I th- in my mind, I do think it is a parody. But the thing is, it's not a parody of a single film or really even a single genre. It's more a parody of all of the films that that group grew up watching. Um. So the broad strokes of it are it's kind of a parody of a sort of a like sort of a sports biopic, but a very like low level sports biopic. Um, It's sort of a parody. I mean, 
it's a parody of kind of evil Knievel type stuff. He's trying to be a stunt man and a stunt performer. Um, it's also got elements of that kind of um, almost like the break in to Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> like, let's put on a show to to save the local town yeah. hall community center type thing. It's the kind of thing you see parodied in TV more than the yeah, yeah. yeah, like spaced and. Garth Marenghi and stuff. Yeah. Like, mm. This is the things that inspired us, but nothing yes. directly like you can yeah. call to. Yeah. It's also got a Footloose parody sequence in it where he dances angrily around a forest. <laughs> um, it's got, it's drawing on all these elements. Mostly it's kind of like these 80s, slightly cheesy kind of teen films that it's it's kind of pulling elements from, but it's also just completely nonsense um the plot for people who aren't familiar with it is that uh the main character played by andy sandberg is uh, a wannabe kind of evil knievel stunt performer except he's terrible at it he is trying to do a big stunt where he jumps over a bunch of buses to raise enough money to get his stepfather a new heart which are like, oh, that's a sweet cause to, you know, a charitable thing. Except the reason he wants to get his stepfather a new heart is so that to make sure his stepfather is healthy enough that he can beat him in a fight <laughs> to prove that he's a man. <laughs> yeah. uh, and his stepfather's played by Ian McShane. Uh, and he's Someone terrific. you probably don't want to fight. No. Uh, someone who in this film, when they finally have their fight, pulls a shuriken out of his yep. tracksuit pocket and throws it into him. Um, oh, fuck with Lovejoy. Yeah. Um, it's it's a film that I just... It, it's very much in the mould of the, the kind of the, the, the dichotomy of that I've been sort of pitching in this episode of like, it's has the broad shape of these these kind of 80s teen, wholesome teen films. And then it's just crammed with as many jokes as they possibly can fit into it. Um, and they're funny fuckers. And they're funny fuckers. And it does does quite a lot of the... <laughs> a type of comedy that can be very frustrating for people, but when it works, I find it hilarious, which is there's a joke, and then the joke carries on for a bit too long, <laughs> and it starts becoming unfunny. And then it goes back around again to being hilarious. Yeah. Um, but very often misused. Yes. Hello, family guy. Yeah. yeah. Disastrously so. And you're like, uh, but when done expertly. Yeah. Genius. Yes. For, so, for example, when, when Rod is doing his uh, angry dancing around the woods, um, which is almost like... Obviously, in Footloose, it's in a factory, but it's almost a shot-for-shot shot, like remake. There's certainly elements in it that are like doing the same dance moves and stuff, mm -hmm. except that he then trips and falls down a hill for what is probably about 90 seconds of screen time. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's, yeah, uh, hilarious. Uh, there's a scene in which uh, there's a it's a very inspiring moment as he's finally heading off to do this jump where um you're the you're the voice by um I can't remember the artist's name. Neither it's, can I, but uh, yeah. yeah. Uh it's just kind of an eighties power ballad starts playing. Mm -hmm. Um and then you realise it's not it's not non diegetic. 
it's actually being sung by the crowd who started to assemble behind him and then it turns into a riot uh, <laughs> and then they just and they just run away from it um it's uh it's a deeply deeply silly film um but it is one that i wholeheartedly recommend um pop star never stopping never stop never stopping is very similar in terms of tone uh and in terms of just trying to cram as many jokes as it possibly can in it has a bit more of the structure of it's basically parodying justin bieber's uh yeah never don't never stop believing or don't stop believing or yeah, so sure. whatever his his kind of uh concert film slash mm-hmm. sort of documentary thing was yeah. never say never never say yeah. never there we go it's a fucking bond film. And, <laughs> and and believe was one of them as well yes yeah, yeah. um uh, with with Sandberg playing just this obnoxious uh, singer called Connor for real, um, <laughs> uh, who who falls out with with pretty much everyone around him, yeah. um, and um, I'm I I feel like we're due another Lonely Island film. Mm, um, yeah. I feel like especially now Brooklyn Nine Nine, which Sandberg was um, you know the lead uh, actor in, has has finished because um, this is. I, I keep forgetting this was from two thousand and seven. This film's fifteen years old now. Fuck yeah. Hell. Which doesn't yeah. which feels so odd because because it's it, it as much as it has that model of let's fill it with as many jokes as we can, it's kind of taking the airplane approach where it's not doing a lot of pop culture references. Or the pop culture references it's doing are so old already that it doesn't have that meet the spartan scary movie problem of aging yeah really badly so it still feels relatively like the only thing that's odd is that you think like oh yeah andy sandberg's actually a lot he's kind of playing a teenager sort of here um but he's 30 something but, but yeah he's like now in his 40s or yeah. whatever you know um oh yeah uh but other than that it 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 still feels remarkably fresh um and uh it's yes just a film that I love to watch. It's very much an experience. I mean, I, I um, remember you and a lot of other friends talking about it at the time. Uh, well, at the time of under, I've really, because it was, it was one of those things that one person watched it and then it circulated. Yes, it did. Did not do well at the cinema. No, did not do well at the box office. Uh, that but seems to be true for parody films. Like they become yeah. cult films. Yeah, and it's it's definitely one that I think people find watching on dvd or they find it showing on some obscure channel and you know it's like a a, an itv4 type film that you stumble across on a wednesday night and go what the fuck is this (laughs) and then you really enjoy it and they're like yeah i know a lot of people who would like this yeah which is why i mentioned things like you know spaced and garth marenghi and white hot american summer sort of stuff It's, it's that kind of like yeah this is made for a very niche audience it didn't find them they found it now yeah yeah everywhere Brilliant. Jack, we're back around to you. We are indeed. I'm going to, in a way, journey back to the 1970s. Bit of more in, in, a, re- in a way? In a more realistic way, sort of the mid to late 2000s. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that way. You mean the 30-year cycle of nostalgia? Very much so, Matthew. I want to talk about Black Dynamite. Oh, oh yeah. The best black exploitation film <laughs> of the modern era, I suppose. Because, yeah, <laughs> it is 
a pastiche beyond a pastiche. It pulls almost every possible trope and cliche you could possibly think of from black exploitation and crams it in there. <laughs> it does an Austin Powers. It does an Austin Powers. This is the black exploitation version of Austin Powers. Mm-hmm. If Austin Powers was the 60s, by God, this is the 70s. And Michael Jai White and a, a group of people who kind of came up with the original idea, mm. they came up with a trailer and the idea for it and got funding for it before there was even a script for the actual film, <laughs> which blows my mind. And they were just like, yeah, we're going to do this. I mean, it's full on elevator pitch, isn't it? Like, it's absolutely an yeah. elevator pitch, yeah. And for those of you who don't know, Black Dynamite essentially is a... Seems to take itself very seriously and then doesn't very quickly. Version of the classic, like, he's a Vietnam vet and a former CIA guy who's gonna kick, kick ass and have sex and be cool and stop drugs in the community and save the <laughs> orphanage. And... But I'd sell drugs in the community. <laughs> <laughs> I'd sell drugs in the community, exactly. And it's full of this insane, ridiculous group of characters who are. Again, it's this weird like hybrid of that everybody does kung fu for some reason thing. Everyone mm. did in the seventies. Everyone in the seventies was just doing kung fu all the time. And Michael Jai White plays this character called Black Dynamite. And that is his God given birth name. <laughs> First name Black, surname Dynamite. And, <laughs> and there's a point where he is in the street and he's patrolling the streets as a as a good former Vietnam vet and CIA officer does sure. shrug <laughs> and there's a couple of like girls playing the streets like hey girls you should you should stay out of the streets and stuff and, like are you black dynamite like uh my mama says my daddy's name is black dynamite there's a lot of cats with that name around here. <laughs> <laughs> my mama says my daddy's name is black dynamite too you just stay out of the streets now girls <laughs> it's so good it is just Again, it's one of those ones where you don't necessarily have to know the genre. It helps, certainly, but it is so full of... I picked two of maybe the most insane options here in Weird and Black Dynamite, where they just go hell for leather in turning the parody up to 11, to the point where he the, the film culminates in Black Dynamite going to Kung Fu Island to defeat the nefarious Dr. Wu and stopping his biological warfare across the world, which is a drink, a, a, a malt liquor, mm-hmm. that makes African-American men's penises small because he is threatened by African-American men. <laughs> that is the plot of the movie. It is insane. Also, he fights Nixon. He also yes. <laughs> culminates with him fighting Nixon and basically becoming president, I think. <laughs> Because I mean, he threatens to exp- He beats. He has a full-on like nunchuck fight with Richard Nixon, and then threatens to expose his weird like bondage and kinks and stuff. And then Mrs. Nixon just just like goes to Black Dynamite instead, and that's it. <laughs> that's the ending of the film. <laughs> and the thing is, that's another. Again, we we keep calling these back the examples. This is a film that. You don't necessarily need to have seen any black exploitation no. to enjoy because it's so stupid and irreverent and funny. But if you watch, and I'm not even talking about black exploitation, I'm talking about it, it just 
underground 70s action films. Yeah. Uh, Stuart Ashton and I tend to watch a lot of these things like uh, Kill Squad and Death Promise yeah. and all these stupid fucking names. Um, and it's like, well, what's the situation? The man is pushing the finger down on the people of the streets. Exactly. Everybody's going to be yeah. run down by landlords. It's like, well, that sounds very familiar. Um, and, but, you know, it's up to this one guy who's also an ex-cop, ex-CIA, you know, ex-military ex, um, dude. They're, almost, they're all yeah. of the ex, this, ex, that. Yeah. And he's just a man of the streets now. Just doing the right thing. Yeah. And that means beating the shit out of people. Um, and it's, it's, it's a, it transcends the tropes because it's, this is a prime example of a loving thing as well. It isn't like, like saying, you, we mentioned earlier about be better Hollywood. It's like, nah, much like Hot Rod. I'm just enjoying this because they were fun yeah. and I want to do one. That's it. And in doing so, because it's funny, because it's irreverent, because it's, uh, very silly in nature, mm. it ends up becoming a strangely good film in its own right. And you go, this is actually well made. Mm. This is actually funny. With, despite having a lot of intentional mistakes in it, Absolutely. like the bit where he accidentally hits a stuntman for real, yep. and then they change the stuntman in the yep. next shot. It very obvious shot. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of boom mics dropping into shot. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a famous example of the opening a car door and it gets stuck on the pavement because the pavement is too high and the door is too low and it just gets wedged. And shit like that happened in those really low yeah. budget yeah. films. You see boom mics, you see camera operators and mirrors and shit like yeah. that. And wait, why, why is that guy suddenly played by a different guy? Yeah. Like, yeah, he punches him in the face and he's like, oh, sorry, man. Yeah. And then it hard cuts yeah. just the rest of the fight. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's mad and has some... You mentioned like, but Black Dynamite, I sell drugs in the community. Yeah. There's so many brilliant quotes. I had uh, my, my <laughs> I threw that shit before I walked in the room. Like, yeah. <laughs> he throw, throws a, I think it's a shuriken like boomerang type thing. Yeah. And it comes in and takes off the fiendish Dr. Wu's arm. Yeah. I threw that shit before I walked in the room. Uh, I had, um, who the hell has interrupted my Kung Fu as my text yeah. alert yeah. because I was a, very cool 17 year old (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah it's just like he's he's still living with his mum, but he's like also the baddest motherfucker in the world it's like he's like shaft and all the different like crazy kung fu yeah it's parodying shaft and starsky and hutch and all the kind of like 70s stuff it's full of that like like funky guitar stuff that's happening Mm -hmm. great soundtrack actually amazing soundtrack amazing soundtrack that is like unironically good because that music works so well and yeah it's just absolutely insane and again it starts off as a fairly straightforward kind of parody and as you said ends up with a kung fu fight with richard nixon yeah <laughs> and i'm not saying that's where weird al <laughs> the al yankovic story goes but it's not far off <laughs> and yeah i just i absolutely fell in love with this film i again growing up on a bunch of kung fu movies and stuff like that having watched a handful of those kind of 70s, like you said, Dead Promise and Kill Squad and all that kind of stuff. They're so low budget and shit, but have that real kind of charm to them. And Black Dynamite was such a passion project for Michael Jai White and and the writers and stuff like that. It was made on basically no budget whatsoever. It made no money whatsoever. Again, much like Walk Hard and much like Hot Rod, Mm. the people who have seen it, Absolutely fucking yes. love it. it finds, and it's become it, this like cult gem. It takes the time to find its audience, unfortunately. But once it does, it yeah. pe- people love it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Just a quick rundown of the some character names for you. We have <laughs> Tasty Freeze, Cream Corn, Gunsmoke, Sweet Meat, Bullhorn, Bitches, Honey Bee, Chicago Wind, Backhand Jack, and is misspelled in the credits as Blackhand Jack. <laughs> and of course, the fiendish Doctor Wu. I can't that, believe you left out Chocolate Giddy Up. And chocolate, yes. sorry, yes, Chocolate Giddy Up as well. Yes, of course. <laughs> Is which considering you had like you know coffee and stuff in yeah the, it's like, yeah they 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 they're ridiculous to a contemporary sensibilities like mm. shaft and coffee aren't that fucking far off yeah. yeah yeah it's madness and hilarity and yeah I again mm. I don't know if it's on these streaming services I was looking for it not too long ago you unfortunately we're it. recommending a bunch of films you can't find easily <laughs> yeah. even the one that came out like two months ago isn't isn't particularly yeah. easy to find. But yeah, I highly recommend going and checking out Black Dynamite if you are in the mood for ridiculous, nefarious kung fu treachery. <laughs> highly recommend Black Dynamite. <laughs> that is the perfect segue. Isn't it just, Matthew, <laughs> for your second pick? So I'm, I'm going to get a lot of flack for this because what I'm about to pick, I, I talk about, you know, uh, uh, Walk Hard being industry defining and changes things people are still kind of referencing it but no one's kind of seen it blah 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 reviewed well on on um on rotten tomatoes i'm going to give you some facts about this thing before i say what it is so this film has 13 percent rotten tomatoes yeah, that ain't good <laughs> correct this film was made for 10 million dollars but somehow made 17 million dollars <laughs> um and it is basically a very different type of film to what we've discussed already, because not only is it a parody of a, of a genre and a whole thing, it's literally sampling it as a bed. The film in question is 2002's Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Mm. <sighs> so. What a weird fucking movie this is. <laughs> Steve Odekirk is uh, not... The Odekirk we all think of these are Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. yeah. It's Odekirk, not Odenkirk. Yeah, exactly. So Steve Odekirk is a guy who, and by the way, I should point out, I saw this in the cinema Fuck wow, off, when I was 18. Fuck off, Matthew. And I was of the appropriate age to go, <laughs> brilliant. And then I bought it on DVD and said, <laughs> brilliant. Now, as we've established on the show in the past, obviously Matt's into, you know, martial arts films and all kinds of things at the time. Um, so this felt genius to me. I was like, I don't understand how they did this. And then I learned how they did it and thought, that is insane. Um, my views have changed, but I still stand by for a lot of nostalgia. And I'm bringing this yeah. up for reasons. So if, if you're recognizing the name Steve Odekirk, by the way. Yes, he's a writer of a lot of things. Yeah, He is a writer. He is also a director of something that might come up, might maybe come up, uh, Ace Ventura When Nature Calls. Yep. He directed the sequel to Ace Ventura. Yeah. Wow. Because he's friends with Jim Carrey, basically. Yep. He also he's did a... Thumbs. Yes. I, they, they are parodies in themselves. They're like 12-minute short films with plastic models of thumbs that he's digitally composited eyes and face onto. In the same way we see these things on a fucking TikTok filter now. Anyone could do it. But at the time it was like, oh, wow, what a crazy production. And he did a Batman one, a Frankenstein one, a Blair Witch Project, blah, 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 blah. It was all parodies of this, this thing. Kung Pao ain't that. So, Agreed. 
Kung Pao is a composite, meaning it's the 1976 film Tiger and Crane Fists, which actually is also known as Savage Killers. And this isn't a new thing, by the way. Uh, he's, he's taken this film, for, you know, a, Kung Fu, a martial arts film from the 70s, and he has put himself into the movie, redubbed it. It's a whole different thing. So what you're watching is this film with someone doing like basically a shadow puppet thing in the front foreground for. And Woody Allen did it in 1966 with What's Up Tiger Lily. Um, Steve Martin starred in Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid in 1982. Mm. It's basically like, oh, imagine Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, for example, is a send-up of all noir films. And it's one of the rare examples of seeing Steve Martin with hair, hair dyed black, and it's quite creepy. <laughs> it is a black and white film. So you get shots of iconic films from the 40s, 50s, and it's obviously Steve Martin shooting these additional scenes and being set into it. The difference here is, for the majority of this film, the compositing of putting in CGIing uh, Steve Odekirk, because he's also the lead role in this as well, his face onto the characters is actually really fucking good. It's it, aged surprisingly it's well. It's impressive, mm. yeah. yeah. The, the, the CGI the cow has not aged well at all. <laughs> that, is, that is dumb. Considering it's 20 years old, yes. the compositing is still impressive it's now. It's so impressive. And so essentially the story is really stupid. It's like, you watch this film and the idea is, um, you know, whatever the story was in the original, doesn't matter, I'm making my own version. I mean, you loop clips, you do yeah. samples of things. Um, the main adversary has a silly voice and he's called Betty. Yeah. It's very silly. It's very dumb. But for all the chicanery and stupidity and the low jokes and like, what the fuck? It's like, oh, I, a, a ninja sort of lady with a mono boob. And it's like, right. And the chosen one has a tongue with a, its own face on it, which has the, you know, yeah. the, the thumbs styled eyes and the mouth thing. It's like, this is fucking stupid. That being said, the, the construction of the film, I absolutely fucking love. And it comes from a place of genuine love for the genre right? very much yeah, so yeah, yeah. and I, I will say this because i'm not going to fucking try to defend it also racism um yeah because you can't fucking escape that especially that, in the 2000s that's a thing of that period as well yeah and also of the 2000s not defending it but it is the is the idea that you know the majority of the film is trying to say like oh isn't it so funny this happens in this genre isn't this funny this happens like yeah the way you're going about it though uncomfortable you're yeah Basically, compositing a white guy into a bunch of Asian stuff. It's mm. it's yeah. It's so there's lots of there's lots of things about it that just don't fit, don't work, problematic, etc., etc., etc. But as I say, the craft of making the film I find fascinating because you know it's like well I've taken this one film, I'm going to put myself into it in certain scenes, and we're going to get the costumes to fit, and make it look like the same thing. I'm going to use a thing where I'm going to film on a on a blue screen, put myself into the same thing, line myself appropriately, that sort of stuff. It's all it's all you know, nonsense. But then also shoot scenes separately to link my own story together to work into this narrative in a way that looks like it's shot at the same location, same times. In the same mm. way that fucking Power Rangers were saying. I was yeah. about to say it's yeah. kind of like what they do with Super Sentai. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so there was a, there's a, like I say, there's a storied history of doing this stuff. So am I recommending you see this film? Not really, unless you're prepared for a very 2000s comedy. But even if you watch Airplane, for example, there's a lot of comedy that has not aged fucking well. Mm. Um, but it's one of those different examples, as I say. I don't, th I don't think this is, again, unlike Walk Hard, where it's like, we're going to try and take the industry down punching up. Yeah. This is more just like, 
I kind of want to just do this and I have the money and the time. Yeah. Fuck it. And as I say, it found its audience very quickly because yeah. it made its money. Critics were like, this is stupid. What's the point of doing this? Like, if you'd done this and it was released on YouTube, it would go instantly viral. Yes. It would have been like, this is brilliant. Yeah. Um, and the fact is that I remember seeing it as a kid uh, at 18 and thinking, sometimes I couldn't tell what was composited and what was, they've just reshot this yep. with a different actor. And then they have like in the, it does a bit of a, a Jackie Chan thing where in the credits it will show you some of the screen web stuff and obviously on the Blu-ray, uh, the, mm. the DVD, it would show you the, um, uh, the outtakes and the making of and like, holy shit, that's, that's a ridiculous, like, we got to find a pond that looks a bit like this one yeah. they were filming in somewhere in, 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 in China. It's like, okay. Uh, and the lighting conditions to be reasonably correct. Get the costumes looking right. It's the, it's the, I think it's the artistry behind it that I appreciate. And respect. <laughs> yeah. The actual end product is bland. Mm. It's fine. It's just is what it is. It's a product of its time. It's like, yeah, it's, it's fine. Yeah. It's like if I suddenly said scary movies, check it out. It's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. But it also is one of those things that exists in its own right where it's like, yeah, you could, you could watch this and you don't have seen any Kung Fu films. Yeah. Cause you're watching half of one. Yeah. That's pretty much what this is. Yeah. But the fact is that the film also went out of its way to do the whole story and then they dub everything. Yes. Badly. It's like, you're still with me, right? And the dog just dies. <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh. And it's dying off screen. It's, it's all very silly. Um, intentionally so. Uh, but I kind of enjoy it. I have a soft spot for it. I don't mm. use the word guilty pleasure. I think it's bullshit, but I do, I do like it. Do I recommend it? Nah, not really. But I'm mm. sure that people listening are like, those saying like, oh, I saw that. Eh. Yeah. And people saying, oh no, fuck yeah. Yeah. I remember that film. Tim, it's your final pick. It's our final pick. Yeah, and for our final one, I've gone for something that is definitely an affectionate parody. <laughs> something that has so much love for its source material uh, mm. and its source uh, franchise, really. Uh, and that is Galaxy Quest. Nice. Brilliant film. 1999's Galaxy Quest. A pretty straight up parody of not just Star Trek but where Star Trek sits in popular culture um, for people who haven't seen it the premise is essentially the stars of a Star Trek style series get abducted by aliens who have mistaken the program which <laughs> has been obviously transmitted you know transmissions have reached out into space because of satellites and whatnot. And the aliens have mistaken it for documentary footage, essentially, and recruit the actors to try and save them from an, uh, an evil intergalactic warlord, basically. So you essentially have uh, Tim Allen playing a William Shatner type um, who is incredibly pompous and egotistical and... Uh, very quickly falls into this, uh, you know, he, he is being essentially worshipped by these aliens who think he is the, the greatest leader that, you know, has ever existed in, in the history of space travel. And he just loves that and, and feeds off the adoration. Um, and the rest of the crew get then get brought along and are horrified to various degrees 
Uh, it has a, a, the, an amazing performance by Alan Rickman, who is essentially playing the Spock character. The best. Who, Alan Rickman is as, the best. Uh, as as a, a very serious thespian hmm. who yeah. can't believe he has to keep repeating this stupid catchphrase yeah. by Grabthar's hammer, <laughs> you shall be, <laughs> be avenged. avenged. Yeah. Um, and it manages to function both as a as a parody of Star Trek and especially kind of where Star Trek was in the late 90s, um, while also being basically one of the better Star Trek films. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like... Just really solid science fiction just comedy. Just a solid science fiction comedy. Um, it's It's got an amazing cast. Sigourney Weaver essentially playing kind of an, an Uhura figure. Uh, the, Quoted her character in the intro as uh, her job is to repeat what the computer says, um, you know. And it, it uh, Sam Rockwell as essentially a glorified extra who's uh, a, a crew, red shirt, but crew, yeah, yeah, crewman number six who's there to die to show how serious the situation is. Mm-hmm. Um, who who gets involved with them? Um, and um, yeah, it's just an expertly crafted parody, but with so much love and affection for it. You know, the fact that it actually brings in, it's got a, a quite a young Justin Long in it as essentially <clears throat> a super fan of this TV series, Galaxy Quest. It was mm-hmm. his first ever film. Was it? Yeah. Uh, there yeah, we man. go. Um, and essentially kind of really looking at the Star Trek fandom, you know, the Trekkie kind of Trekker mindset um, and having them be instrumental to the finale of the film because the crew is able to contact the, you know, the aliens have have essentially constructed the ship based on all the kind of the fan information that exists out there. And so the crew who are just like, well, we just played, you know, we, we, we were actors, you know, we don't actually know how any of this stuff operates. Yeah. But then they are able to contact the fans who are like, oh no, we know the layout of the starship because, you know, we've we've poured over the technical manuals. It's like all those interviews you see where it's like, the cast versus the super fan. Yes. And the yeah. super fan completely destroys the cast because the cast like, I don't know. I, I, I never watched this again. Yeah. I was in it. I, I was in it and it's a job. I don't remember everything that every other character did. Yeah. I barely remember what I did. And I'm not even sure if, did that scene get cut? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, I love that kind of and stuff. And it's not a yeah. hateful thing with no. regards to, even now you have so many examples of, I know SNL fucked this recent, bah, say recent, it was a year ago now, if I think about it properly, but it was, um, they had um, Kit Harrington on the show and they did a uh, send up mm. of Game of Thrones fans. And I was like, mm. Game of Thrones is huge at the time. Yeah. That's everybody. So, yeah. No, no, it's 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 that's, all these nerds. That's my mum. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's like no, that's it's my mum. You're making fun <laughs> of leave my mum alone. But it's the whole like yeah, no, it's 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 nerds in, in mm. tight shirts and uh, putting nerd glasses up and saying mm. ah, fireball, fireball. And it's like that's the old fucking seventies, eighties revenge that's, of the nerds. Yeah, re- yeah, yeah. That's and so for example, you could easily do the Trek style. Oh, it's all fat basement dwelling pieces of shit. Like, yeah. Nah, it's just fans. It's just yeah. people. Who like this stuff? Yeah, um, and and then that's like Justin Long's character. Yes, of course he's a he's a bit of a you know obsessive nerdy virgin mm. kind of character. But it's like yeah, but they don't hate him. No, and he is instrumental in helping. Yes, the fandom is rewarded. It's yeah. it's a very novel way of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's I think it's quite beloved amongst the Star Trek 
Oh yeah, Very fans so, yeah. because as one of them, yeah. because it has that affection and it doesn't, it doesn't poke. It pokes fun without feeling mean about it. And you get stuff like when they're trying to get through to a certain part of the ship, and there's a corridor that's just like pistons slamming into it, like huge blocks of metal. What is and this like, even here for? Yeah, what, what is this here for? <laughs> it's here because it was in the episode. Well, whoever wrote this episode was an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's when they realized they were going to do this whole PG-13, we can get away with one F word. Yeah. And they're like, this film needs to be a PG. It's too soft. It's too good. So yeah. the whole the, the Sigourney Weaver's like, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> it becomes, screw that. Because yeah. it's like, no, 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 no. And again, the CGI and that stuff as well. It's obviously mm. got the whole like, it cuts back to the TV version. It's this really ropey pony yeah, looking yeah, yeah. piece of shit, like stompy things. And then the the CGI at the time looks, it's like Men in Black level, like yeah, it's decent. It looks good, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think you know, again, it's a film that at the time didn't make that much money at the box office, but has had a real swell of affection develop around it. In fact, to the point where I think it was the Honest Trailers people, the Screen Junkies, yeah, uh, yeah. made a documentary about it a yes. couple of years ago mm-hmm. um looking into the making of it and you know sure uh, and the, and, and it's one of those films where people are continually going like they could do another one of these they could do an- another galaxy quest or they could do a tv series about the the ongoing adventures and i i you know i think it's it seems to be this common thread amongst a lot of these parody films that where where they are good you know obviously we have our Meet the Spartans that that has Oof. has died a death and and yeah. so clearly had a shelf life on it yeah. of this is designed to sell tickets in the year that it's out and maybe sell DVDs and then people will forget about it and it is essentially it's you know it's a, a chicken McNugget of a film <laughs> um, but the ones that are actually made with care whether it is putting a lot of effort into making it as funny as possible or actually caring about the film they do last and they do you know they don't find their audience immediately but they find it eventually and then people have just a real love for them Mm. tim did Mm. you know the screenwriter robert gordon i don't know him no do you know him no um did you know he is responsible as a screenwriter Mm. for one of your biggest cinematic bugbears Oh, really? Men in Black 2. Oh, my God. Same guy wrote Galaxy Quest as Men in Black 2. And weirdly enough, I was just looking up the director as well, Dean Parasot, didn't realise he directed Bill and Ted Face the Music yes. from a couple of years ago. Yeah, like, That's the Galaxy Quest guy? What the fuck? Yeah. What a weird, weird combination of films. strange situation. And this is the thing, is it's the whole, like, who would you get to write a Men in Black film? Get the Galaxy Quest. Galaxy yeah, Quest yeah. guy. Oh. Apparently not. Yeah. As you were saying, Tim, it's the idea that people say, oh, you know, get it back. No. No. Leave it. the, f- And here's why you leave it the fuck alone. Even at the time, didn't need to do a sequel. It told its story. Yeah. And Trek was already like, yeah, fair play. We need-. And it still hasn't really figured itself out, if we're brutally honest. Mm. Um, then you get the idea of like, well, you know, we can still get some cast back. No, Rickman is dead. Yeah. Mm. He was the heart of that film. Yeah. One yeah. of the many hearts of the film. Everyone else, there are too many big names to get mm. back into that thing. And it's led by Tim Allen. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> and also Sigourney Weaver's very, very, very busy on Pandora. So maybe yeah. she's not going to be on it either. So yeah. it's, it's, it's the idea that you, because you love it, you think, oh, I, I want to eat more of this. It's like, you don't. No. Enjoy promise, what you've got. You're full, I promise you. Yeah. Yeah. Go back and watch it again. 
because it's still genius. It still holds up. It's still mm. great, but you don't need more. Yep. Because and again, it's why, for example, I will probably end up saying like, no, if it ever comes up on the list of like sequels we'd like to see, I'm mm. like, no, <laughs> maybe, but no. Interestingly, it's another film that is incredibly hard to find on streaming. Yep. I've just been checking through JustWatch.com. Not a sponsor. Just my go-to totally thing for could finding. Be. Should be. Oh, we'll, hey. we'll have to email them or something. Um, but yeah, checking JustWatch.com for basically any of these fucking movies. They're all available to rent and stuff, but mm. none of them are freely available on streaming, which is very annoying. But yeah, yeah, definitely go and check out Galaxy Quest. It's brilliant and hilarious and has, just, again, something that has aged surprisingly well. Mm. You think about like parody sci-fi stuff that could age really, really badly. The central performances are so good. The fact that it's aware of the shit CGI and all that kind of stuff really, really works. And yeah, Galaxy Quest is just absolutely brilliant. Well, that about wraps us up, right? That's all of our second half suggestions for parody movies. I like the tone implies we're going to go, not so fast, Jack. Mm. <laughs> we have one more surprise. One more thing. <laughs> like, really? No. It's a parody podcast of ourselves. Oh, oh no. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> Absolutely fuck that. Wow. A, a parody of podcasts in general. Ugh. Probably at that point now where somebody's done it already. People could parody us. There's a fucking podcast for everything these days. It's true. But if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to sequelizers.com. You can find links for the Discord, links for all of our social media and stuff. Highly recommend joining the Discord if you haven't already. It's a fantastic community of over 200 people, listeners and sequelizers alike, where you can discuss the episodes, you can discuss films, you can talk about parenting, politics, all kinds of stuff. There's a variety of different things. And even... Matt will be talking about sumo in there, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yes. I'll be talking about wrestling. I'll be talking about video games. Cover lots of different topics, basically. So I highly recommend you go to sequelizers.com, click the link, and get the invite for the Discord. You can, of course, find our YouTube channel, all the other stuff, and links for all the Patreon and all that kind of stuff at sequelizers.com as well. I am JLW Chambers on all the various social media. I'm fairly easy to find. That's my, that's my name all over the place. Got my SEO sorted, pretty much. <laughs> and Matthew, how can people find you on the internet? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z, on the various social media platforms. You can go to theredrighthand.co.uk to read my reviews. You can go to cheesemint.com to see the things that I've made and continue to make. You can also search for Sumo Drop Pod on Twitter. Uh, frustratingly, it is my uh, sumo wrestling podcast, um, which happens every other month, which is when the sumo happens. The problem is, because it's a sports podcast, it happens usually on the day of the stuff happening, which is Sunday evenings, as when we record it. It's a Sunday evening right now. But that's why it's not recording. happening in January. <laughs> um, and I'm also filming next Sunday, so it's like, yeah, it ain't gonna fucking happen, because it's just, it's just not viable. Um, so we have, we're, we're, I guess, kind of on a hiatus, but it's again, it's the big... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, follow the account if you want to learn some stuff. Always happy to talk about things like that. Um... All you also did a great intro episode of Fundamentals. That's absolutely true. We've all been on Fundamentals. We've been talking about various different things. Fantastic podcast. Highly recommend you go and check that out. But mm. you and your wife, Emma Jane, were there talking about sumo wrestling. Yep, and with Harley and things like that. Yep. Harley had no idea about any mm -hmm. of it. So if you want an intro to it and mm -hmm. while you're waiting for the new Basho and the new series of Sumo Drop yeah, to come out, yeah. highly recommend you go and check out Fundamentals. Harley is awesome. We've had him on a live stream before. Yes. Awesome podcast. Highly recommend you go and check that out as an intro to sumo wrestling that will get you ready for that next I agree. season. I absolutely agree. Thank you, Jack. Uh, Tim. Uh, Tim, you, you parody of... 
nothing. Wow. <laughs> you are, no, 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 because parody is, 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 is a comedic mockery of things. Tim mm. is not. Tim is godly. There are, <laughs> there are many who parody Tim and they all fail. Mm. Uh, where can people find out about your ass? <laughs> Good Lord. My ass be on the internet. Uh, it, uh, Twitter, trivia underscore lad uh, is probably the best place to find me. Although I've also started using uh, Letterboxd. Oh, nice. Uh, with the same username, trivia underscore lad. Um, I, I, I'm trying to keep it uh, spoiler free for sequelizers. Uh, although, <laughs> although, although if you want to uh, go in completely clean when we do uh, what we've watched recently, you might you might want to avoid it. But I'm mostly going back through older films I've watched and, and doing trying to do some pithy reviews of them. So uh, if you want to follow me on there, that's that's another place you can I'd like find me. That. Nice. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Thank you for joining us with this journey of parody films. We'll be back next week with another interseason episode for a completely different topic because that's how the interseason works. Matthew's looking it up right now. I don't know what it is. I c- oh, Tim did a thing. It didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> I knew exactly what it was. Really? Yeah. Come on, Matthew. Oh, shit. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, the, Tim's mind was great. I fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> it's Correct. very different. Correct. But yes. Um, it's a little bit of crossover. That's a little bit of crossover. That's a little bit of crossover. Yeah. Banana. Tune in next week, and thank you very much for listening. <laughs>